we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's going on, everybody? How'll it do, Internet? Hi. We are back at it again. We are getting ready to record part one of two with our buddy Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances. We are going to be talking about the Westies, which yeah. were a Irish-American gang in New York City back in the... 70s, 60s and 80s. To 70s, 80s. They, they this pretty is much out of my wheelhouse. They pretty much existed in one form or another for the better part of a hundred years, just going back through like the Irish organized mobs, crime yeah. with the the Irish. Um, but you before know, we, we talk about that, being about seventy five percent Irish, you think I'd be invested in this? And I'm like, I, whatever. <laughs> eh, organized crime doesn't get me going. Oh man, I love it. But, but before we get to that, let's talk about Studio. Yeah, go over to studio.com. Check out their headphones. Check and out earbuds. the selection. They've got a couple of different kinds of over the ear. They got a bunch of different in the ear. Um, they have a couple different completely wireless Bluetooth. Uh, mm-hmm. Bluetooth. Woo. The Tolv and the, the Neva. Neva. I have the Neva. They are fucking awesome. The Tolv look even better though. Um, but throw some stuff in your cart. Go to go to checkout and put, put the, in Dark Windows fifteen as the promo code, and we will take fifteen percent off for you. And speaking of saving money, Seth, you could save us some money too. Not me directly, but I do know a promo code that could save you some money if you like or enjoy or know anybody else that likes or enjoys painting miniatures or needs hobby-related tools such as a hobby holder, a brush bastion, a brush beam, weird, a couple things to hold brushes, a paint puck, or even a wet palette. You find all that good stuff that you like in there, in the color choices of what you like. Oh, we even have brushes. That's a new fun thing, too. Woo! And you put that stuff in the checkout cart. You put in the promo code BROADSTONE at checkout, and you'll save yourself 10% off the entire order. Because I love you. Yeah. You know, the more I hear you do that promo, the more I think he just wants people to buy stuff and send it out to him. No, not even that. <laughs> Like, I just like making it up every week. Yeah. Because it's fun for me. That means buy stuff and send it to him. No, don't. You don't have to buy it. I want you to buy stuff because you want to buy it. Don't yeah. send me stuff because you feel you have to. But with just that being loves. said, we're getting ready to record. We wanted to do this previously just to make everything a little bit easier. 
So we might come back and have some stuff to say at the end of the episode, maybe some more sponsor stuff. Not but, quite sure yet. We'll figure that out when we get there. But I'll say this. Enjoy the show. Yeah. The Dark Windows Podcast is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus is a subscription video on-demand service with thousands of in-depth videos taught by the world's greatest professors. You'll always have something fascinating to learn about. With categories ranging from history to travel, there's something for everyone. The courses I'm personally looking forward to checking out are the 36-part series on the Vikings and the 24-part series The Agency, A History of the CIA. If you go to ageofradio.org forward slash darkwindows, there's an offer to get The Great Courses Plus for 14 days free. Stay ahead in life. Start your access today with 11,000 plus video and audio lectures on a range of topics. Now, let's get back to the show. So, welcome to Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, and I am joined by the men of the Dark Windows Podcast for a pretty big series that I didn't want to do alone. And these guys really liked, you know, some of my previous mobster episodes and stuff. And so I was like, why don't you guys just fucking do this with me? You know, we can we can all chip in on some research and, and uh, you know, kill kill a series here with uh, talking about the Lords of Hell's Kitchen. Well, Mr. James Coonan and Mickey Featherstone. And I'll personally, I've been, you know, pretty fascinated with these two guys for a while because I don't know. And within I think 13 year span, they were responsible for I don't know 30 to 40 unsolved homicides. You know, so uh, you know that's according to you know later accounts from people who turned turned uh, into government witnesses. But I I do got to ask you guys. Uh, what did what did you guys think of uh, the subject matter, man? Uh, oh, oh, and by the way, before I go, before <laughs> I ask you that, introduce yourselves, please. <laughs> my my name is Kevin Carlton. Um, I'm one of the three hosts on Dark Windows podcast, and then we got Kevin Heyer, the other host, and Seth, the random guy that just shows up. <laughs> <laughs> he used to blend into walls, but now he doesn't. Yeah, I, could, <laughs> I highly doubt that. <laughs> oh yeah, where we used to record at uh, at Kevin's parents' house, they had a, a cedar wall that Seth sat in front of. So it's like if you closed his eyes, he just kind of ah, melted in. He just kind of blended in. He was like, yep. for those predator. of you who don't know, Seth is a ginger. <laughs> so you racist fucks. <laughs> so I'll kick all your ass. I mean, not only does he not have a soul, but he also blends into cedar backgrounds and. Carpeted furniture because he's hairy. Every I have is a soul of absorbed, and you are on a special place that will not be named named. <laughs> That's fair. I respect that. <laughs> I do. We are the ginger. <laughs> so, what did you guys? Uh, what did you guys think when you started getting into this subject? I I didn't. I had a general idea of the subject like before we started, and then. Um, the more I dug into it, the more I went, wow, these guys are crazy. And then I started reading about Mickey Featherstone and went, oh, boy, yeah, he's legitimately legally crazy. Like, did some <laughs> wild shit, but it's uh, it's been interesting. I'm really enjoying it a lot. So uh, I, Good. Good. I, I personally started off not knowing a damn thing, you know, and 
I was like, wow, this is this is kind of interesting. Watched a couple videos. And I was like, well, two videos contradict each other. All right, so I think I need to uh, read a book. So I read, started reading the book, and I was like, wow, this is freaking fascinating. It's everything that you know I I, I thought of of you know mobsters and everything else. So kind of you know, love it. I don't know. For me, I'll be brutally honest. It's a it's an okay topic. It's not anything I've ever been like. I need to read more. I'm super obsessed with. Like, it's just a topic. And then looking more into it. And then, as Kevin C said, looking into Mickey Featherstone and that interesting little gentleman's background it was like, oh, okay, I can kind of see the appeal here. I can see the the enjoyment of looking this stuff up and the knowledge and just how interesting everything interwove but also went in different directions at the same time so and you actually seth actually has a a pretty interesting you know uh, knowledge about about crimes is that that's right right yeah i uh i graduated college with a criminal justice degree many many years ago so it was i look at things in a little bit different of a way like, I'm not as up-to-date with all of the information and the proper terms, but reading and writing reports on situations like what these gentlemen have done and other people, it's just another, like, case to me in a weird kind of sick way, I guess. So awesome. it's uh, Criminal cool justice will do that to you. I, I was going to yeah, say, being, sure. a, being a reformed criminal himself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have happens. never yeah. been convicted. <laughs> thankfully, so, uh, mental stability. While we're helps. on that, what'd you say? I th- said, thankfully, having mental instabilities can help. It, it's very foreshadowing. Shadowing. Yeah. Ooh. So uh, tell everybody, tell my listeners about your uh, podcast. Oh well, boy, we do all kinds of all kinds of different stuff. We cover everything from cryptozoology to. Some true crime. Like, true, like I'm a big true crime guy. We do uh, a lot of history, yep. uh, hauntings, all all kinds of. Yeah, we've covered. Yeah, we've pretty much covered the whole gambit so far. Yeah. We've, I mean, uh, uh, let's see, we've covered uh, uh, haunted locations. Haunted locations. We've covered, you know, cracked open beers. Don't mind me. Uh, <laughs> I just I just did it too, man. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally heard that as I was talking. I was like, hmm. And I'm staring at you right in... They actually put the monitor right in front of me, so it's like I'm staring at you, and I'm like... It looks like you guys are on, like, an internet <laughs> double date. It's pretty <laughs> sexy. I, I, it, it warms my tummies. But, um, I totally just blew you a kiss, dude. I, I know, oh, I saw it, and I ate okay. it. Okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah, so, but we've, we've covered... This is crazy. Broke you. I know. You fuckers. Uh, so, we've covered everything, you know, like I said, Kevin and Seth said, like, everything from... Um, True crime to historical events, uh, alien stuff, cryptids, all that stuff, and we had some pretty f- funny and interesting topics. Yeah, we're a melting know. pot, crazy. <laughs> you know, well, and for as, obvious reasons, that's why I like you guys because you guys spread it out. You guys do different subject matter like I do, and I that's what I like. So keeps it know. way more fun and exciting for not just us but also the listeners too, because it gives them yeah. a say in what a topic should be and also where they like to direct things and uh yeah for for our listeners justin why don't you tell Mm -hmm. our listeners what you do that some might not hear no no what you actually do yeah since since we're finally going to have a host on our show with a little bit of talent and skill so bitch (laughs) 
I mean, obviously not, but uh, <laughs> no, I uh, I started uh, started MC uh, in April of 2016, and uh, I, I just wanted to look at stuff, you know, like try to put puzzle pieces together for different things that, uh, you know, it happened under mysterious circumstances, obviously, and that covers like a wide range of topics, and I didn't want to keep myself contained to one certain genre or one topic because like I love researching all kinds of different stuff. If it grabs my interest, I'm going to look into it and I'm probably going to do an episode on it and I mean that even includes you know, you know debunking when I when I do haunted or paranormal stuff, I try my hardest to debunk them. And you know, I do a lot of historical figures, but I try to, you know, present the historical figure as you know not fiction you know i want to know the real person i want to know what happened and uh you know that's uh you know led me down a pretty interesting road so far and uh oh let's see i started uh rev 96 last year which is uh, it's a smaller podcast like my little fun side project it's uh it's basically just horror and creepy pastas and, and ghost stories that my listeners submit, and it's a scripted story form. And I throw music behind it and try to scare people. And um, then I, uh, earlier uh, this year in February, I came out with uh, Blood and Dust: Wild West True Crime, which is centered around you know the Wild West area era from 1865 to 1895, and and basically it's uh, you know just subjects. A lot of people don't a lot of people don't give the Wild West enough credit for being wild yeah. because nobody ever really did episodes. And when I did my uh, first one on MC, my Billy the Kid episode, everybody's like, dude, you know you need to do more of these, man. These dudes were crazy, like. You know, and so I did a couple more on MC, and then just decided to branch off and put all of them, you know, all the new subjects on on a different podcast. And I have two co-hosts on that one. I have a, uh, I have Julie Carlton, which some of you probably know from from Ohio and and Dark Windows, and she's a uh, she's honestly a fountain of knowledge about the Wild West. She's obsessed with it. And uh, the other one, we just got a new co-host. We did have Mike Mike Burrows for quite a while he's he's a texan who literally can talk for hours about any subject matter can, pertaining to the wild west the guy is so knowledgeable about everything um we we lost him uh, for personal reasons uh, he had he had some family stuff going on and we brought in a guy named matt Locke recently and matt is really really cool because he's been a Civil War reenactor for I think 20 years and he's his job that's literally his job and then he also redoes you know rebuilds uh, old historical buildings as well so he's like he's a super interesting guy man and he he definitely knows his stuff when it comes to the Wild West which is so cool you know so yeah we brought him in because he was you know about the perfect guy but but yeah, man, I you know I'm actually as much as I hate to say it, I'm, uh, there's gonna be another project I got coming out uh, in August, early September, and it's going to be a a real time investigative podcast with uh, my buddy and and co-host, future co-host from from Sweden. Um, 
we decided to do this, you know, a couple months ago, and we picked two real-time cases, and it's going to be in-depth, you know, one or two cases per season, and, you know, it's something I've never really done. I, I like to pick older cases, but, but yeah, that's, that's uh, pretty much all of the shit that I do, and, you know, I mean, I... That's that's about it, I guess. And he finds time to work. Yeah, and you work a full time job. <laughs> yeah, I work a full time job. To go to. It's yeah, like... I got got a couple kids. You know, I work full time, and you know, I just I, I I don't have much of a social life. You know, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. But, Who does now? But, yeah, uh, actually, <laughs> exactly. Like I hate most humans, so <laughs> I you know it's fine with me. I'm, we can I'm start fine club, with it because I think uh, all four of us are in about that same boat. Yeah, yeah. It's like I started a support group for antisocials, but we haven't held a meeting yet. So it's on the third, <laughs> it's on the third Friday of uh, every month. So I just want to let you know, <laughs> sixth, yeah. sixth Friday, and no, and nobody ever shows up. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, unfortunately, you know, we've been trying, but exactly. So um, I guess, man, you guys ready to get rolling? Absolutely. All right. So me and me and Kevin H, we took Jimmy Coonan, and Kevin C and Seth took old good old Mickey Featherstone. So <laughs> me and Kevin are going to drop some knowledge bombs on you about the early years of uh, of Jimmy Coonan, which, to be honest, you know, wasn't, you know, until, you know, he's about, you know, 20, 20 or 21 years old, it really doesn't get too exciting. But yeah, not I'm, really. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he I mean, was, not even that. He's like seventeen, eighteen, you know. Exactly, exactly. He uh, he was born on December twenty first, nineteen forty six, in Manhattan. Uh, his father was an accountant, and uh, he owned a Coonan Tax Service. And he was a uh, he was an accountant for you know some pretty interesting characters. But all in all, he was uh, he was a straight up guy. He wasn't a criminal, really. You know, he just had some interesting customers. And Jimmy Coonan uh, really didn't have that bad of an upbringing, from what I understand. Kevin, did you find you know any real interesting things about his upbringing, his, his no, childhood? Not really. It just all everything that said that uh, he just had a normal upbringing. You know, he was it was just normal because his parents, you know, worked doing as C, you know, in a CPA, and uh, his mother. You know, worked with his father in the office, uh, but I mean, he was the second of four children. You know, so mm-hmm. that's, I mean, I guess as normal as you can be. Um, yeah, he did have uh, what they called an a ex- little bit of a explosive temper. Mm-hmm. You know, when he was uh, when he was young, I don't know why. I mean, you know, living in New York City, but um, he didn't actually you know let that uh, rise up until he was around 17 when he got into a fight with a neighborhood kid and he beat him so badly that he actually hospitalized ho- hospitalized him sorry and he and gave him nearly 60 lacerations to his both his body and his face which that's pretty rough he, he fucked that kid up mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah um, um, oh yeah and so I guess you know he found that well, being a tough kid was uh, the way to go, so he decided, "Hey, I'm 17. I'm gonna drop out of school." And mm-hmm. 
you know, start running with uh, the criminal element because that's what people All thought right. I was going to be. Yeah, pretty much. Um, do you, Kevin, do you want to go ahead and and hit up on 1964 with his old man getting kidnapped and then I, uh, I can step in in 1966 with... Yeah, so he actually proved his medal when he was uh, 18 and when his father was kidnapped by Mickey Spillane and um, was held for ransom. And this really pissed him off. He didn't like it at all because Mickey, not only did he just kidnapped him, but he also um, beat him up pretty, pretty, pretty bad. And then, you know, once the family paid the ransom, they let him go. Well, I was actually going to add something about the whole thing of joining a rough crowd. During this era, mm-hmm. you wanted to make sure that you were in a gang because if not, if you're running solo, you were instantly seen as a victim or a potential mark for whether it be beatings, muggings, or whatever. So if you joined a group or you're with a group, you were less likely to be victimized during this era because this was during the time frame of where a lot of people were being repressed and the law enforcement would crack skulls and things like that because there were so many distasteful elements that there was you obviously had the gangs you had just people by themselves you had law enforcement there was just so much high tension and animosity in the world at this time and even to some degree now that you wanted to make sure that you were part of a collective rather than being by yourself so you're not marked you can actually feel safe with a group of people yeah, yeah, that definitely. makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, Jimmy, not liking the fact that his father got his ass kicked pretty bad, uh, decided that Mickey Spillane was going to get his. So, one night he climbed on top of a roof of the forty of a forty sixth Street tenement building with a machine gun, and peered over the edge and saw Mickey Spillane, Mickey himself. Julie, uh, Julius Dutch Groat and Tommy Collins playing dice in an alleyway and opened fire over over the, the edge of the building. Didn't hit a single one of them, but, you know, decided it was, you know, ballsy on yeah. his part to shoot up a guy that was so well known in the neighborhood for roughing you up, kidnapping you, you know, just being yeah. a real jerk. And it was a it was a thing of him, you know, honoring his his name, you know, because of what they did to his father. And I mean, the whole kidnapping happened in sixty four, nineteen sixty four. And I mean, this dude spent a couple years. He was calling Mickey Spillane, like his house, yeah, and just harassing the shit out of this dude until Mickey Spillane, like, got a hold of, you know, his dad, and he's like, listen. You better tell your kid to knock it off, or like bad shit's gonna happen. But so Jimmy, you know, Jimmy finally stopped, and then two years later in 1966, he did. Man, he he emptied a 30 round clip in one burst, shooting at these dudes. Man, <laughs> just didn't even hit in basis, yeah. didn't didn't hit anybody. And the the best part was is that, I mean, Mickey Spillane found out real quick. You know, hey. Apparently, like there's there's a new dude coming up, and and actually right after that, is is super interesting because Coonan he's literally trying to take the neighborhood. He's like, fuck this guy. I want this neighborhood is mine. Like he did this shit to my dad, blah blah blah. 
And what he does is he takes one of Mickey Spillane's little underlings and he kidnaps him and he ends up murdering the dude and he gets arrested for it. He gets arrested for kidnapping and murder. But check out the deal. This is the best plea deal ever. He uh, he pleads down to a Class E disorderly conduct felony and a Class C manslaughter felony. And, he, and in 1967, the dude goes to prison. And, it, you know, until he gets out in 1971, that's pretty much where he's hanging out. Um, and before we move forward... Uh, do you guys want to, did you, either of you, anybody want to add anything to that? Well, yeah. Well, before he does, he actually does go to jail for all that. He actually, this is when he, when he first uh, met um, Eddie Sullivan. And yeah, this yes. This is where uh, he and Sullivan actually were like, got it hooked up. And Sullivan was actually... Uh, I believe it was like 15 years older than Mi- uh, Mickey. Or Do you Jimmy. mean Joe Sullivan or Eddie Kaminsky? No, uh, Eddie Sullivan. Okay. Um, he was he was like 15 years older than uh, Jimmy, and he actually the reason why they actually uh, got along so well was because of the disdain for Mickey Spillane, because one night um, Mickey was. Uh, at the bar, at the White House bar, which was uh, owned by Mickey Spillane, and he must was drink out drinking. Well, must have been running in his mouth, and Mickey Spillane and his brother decided we got enough of this guy running his mouth. We're gonna kick the shit out of him. So they brought him out back and just beat the crap out of him. And because of that, he's like, "All right, I'm gonna whack this guy. If Jimmy's not gonna do it, I'm gonna do it." Or we're gonna do it together, whichever it is. We're go- this is gonna happen no matter what. Um, then because of this meeting, Eddie's like, "All right, fine. I got this other guy I want to bring in too, Bobby uh, Hugard, who yeah. they had actually worked together uh, several times doing stick-ups, and he'd actually uh, trusted him, you know, quite a bit." Uh, then the last person that joined this little small, like, s- real small version of the Westies was Jackie Coonan, Jimmy's uh, younger brother. Yeah. And in March of 66, they all met up at Tony's Bar. And they just basically wanted to discuss how they could get back at Mickey and how they could basically take over the, the neighborhood at that point. So. Yeah. They they did all this. Well, as of March 22nd, 1966, this kind of just all came crushing down on them. Mm-hmm. Because, well, Bobby Langville came along and he got killed. Do you want to talk about that or do you want me to continue? No, go ahead. Yeah, um, keep going. So according to some of the rumors that were floating around the neighborhood... Um, Bobby Langville had been hired by Mickey Spillane to actually kill Eddie Sullivan. And this wasn't, uh, you know, because uh, this wasn't actually happened, didn't come to fruition because uh, Jimmy and Eddie actually found out about it. And they got in touch with him and brought him to Long Island City and proceeded to a film full of assortment of large caliber rounds. 
Um, the <laughs> next day, they found his body um, in the river floating. It was found by the 108th Precinct in Queens. Um, they kind of didn't know what happened to him. Uh, they started asking around, but because of the time and the area, everybody was going by what they referred to as the West Side Code, which was, we don't know nothing. Yep. Uh, and the and, Irish were huge on that code. Yeah. And actually, speaking of the Irish, it kind of, him going to the roof with the, the assault rifle to shoot at Mickey Spillane, it kind of, I, I had a flashback to your uh, your episode with the, uh, the DeMeos. With uh, mm-hmm. that one dude that got his nose broken, like twelve years. Oh yeah, and he's like, yeah, we're gonna fucking years. kill this guy. <laughs> For that, and the best part is, is, is Jimmy Coonan ends up becoming f- really good friends with Roy DeMeo and Nino Gaggi. Yeah, which yeah. is like, the, you know, in the future and stuff. But it's, and by the way, for all these listeners who are like, who the hell's Mickey Spillane? Blah blah blah. These guys right here are going to give you a very special treat next week. Because when I'm taking a break working on some other state stuff and not releasing art, we're both releasing part two at the same time. But you guys are actually going to take a week and do the whole backstory of the Westies. Is that right? Yep. We're going to cover pretty much everywhere from um, kind of uh, like the, the, the Gopher Gang with uh, Oni Madden. Oh, man. And like the, <laughs> the very beginning, like the late 1800, early 1900 scene, right up to pretty much where we're going to leave off. Because here, I mean, you know, because people think, man, the the seven sixties, eighties, that was a wild ass time in yeah, Hell's Kitchen. But, but <laughs> that really wasn't because previous to that, wow. Yeah, you, you got I mean, you got Oni Madden and his boys dude, going more with fucking axe handles and baseball bats and stuff. Like they didn't <laughs> very rare and to by have the a gun, t- but they're like, no, fuck it, we'll kill you guys anyway. Yeah, yeah, and Oni Madden was fucking insane, Jesus. man. That dude was crazy. <laughs> But to, to the point that I was trying to make was the Irish and the Italians are very similar in the fact that you could slight them ever, ever so, like, slightly, I guess. And they'd hold that fucking grudge until the end of time, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, you know, with, with the guy in the uh, the DeMeo episode, oh, he, I got, he broke my nose, you know, almost 15 years ago. Let's kill him. Yeah. You know, Jimmy Coonan's yeah, like, oh, exactly. you kidnapped my dad? I'm going to fucking shoot at you guys. I'm not going to hand anything, but. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. The 108th Precinct, Queens uh, Police Force, finds finds Bobby and dead. Well, they start questioning everybody. One of the first people that they actually questioned was Julius Dutch Grote, who was an ex-con and neighborhood gambler, hence the reason um, he was there the night that Jimmy Coonan opened fire on him, Mickey Spillane, and Tommy Collins in that alleyway that I spoke about earlier. And they were actually playing dice that night. And they asked him if he knew anything about Bobby, um, if he knew him at all. And he said, well, yeah, I knew him. Uh, We were in the Metal Lathers Union. But other than that, he stuck to the code of, I don't know nothing. Yep. But that wasn't really the case. Yeah. He actually did know something. And that something was that... He had actually seen Bobby that night. Bobby had come to Pearlie's bar where Grote was actually being I uh, was up behind the bar, barkeeping. And Bobby came in, got a beer, and told Grote that 
hey, Jimmy Coonan called me. And he asked me to come meet him. And Groat's like, Bobby, do you think that's a good idea? He's like, man, I got no choice. I got to go. So he went, and the rest is history, as we know. He ended up dead. Hell yeah. Yep. Yep. And then while uh, while we're taking our four-year break of, of uh, you know, Jimmy Jimmy C over here, you know, getting a getting his his you know four year vacation for probably like one of the best plea deals in the country. His, his lawyer um, must have been a wizard, dude, to get him that. Dude, kind of I'm deal. telling you, it's called money. For real. Yeah, that's true. Money and influence what? will get you everywhere. That's now, very true. Now, so why don't you guys? Now. Why don't uh, why don't Kevin C and uh, and Seth? Why don't you guys introduce us to uh, the the baby faced Mickey Featherstone? <laughs> Yeah, um, so Mickey Featherstone was uh, was born was actually born Francis Featherstone on uh, September second, nineteen forty eight, in Manhattan. He was the youngest. I believe he was the youngest of nine kids. Um, he had a pretty pretty rough go of it growing up. Uh, his mother Dorothy, uh, Dorothy Boyle married his father. Uh, well, not really his father, but her first husband, the father of six of her kids, uh, Charlie Featherstone, in the late nineteen thirties. And by most accounts, uh, Charlie was kind of a piece of shit. Like he was an alcoholic, he was abusive, and a lot of times he just was angry at everything. Couldn't hold down a job. Yeah, he was. Kind wasn't of a he a wasn't he a federal customs officer though? No, that was his. Uh, his that was that was his real dad. Yeah. yeah. Yep, that's his biological okay. father. He eventually would leave Dorothy and their six kids. Um, he'd leave her penniless, not with absolutely nothing. So shortly thereafter, she would actually meet and get involved with another man named Charlie. This one was Charlie Boyle, who would actually go on to be Mickey's father and the, I guess, stepfather of the rest of her kids, because even though they never legally got married. Yeah, he pretty much treated everyone as if they were his own kids and even wanted to make sure that they had everything that they could have, which he could afford. Pretty much being only, you know, just one man working his ass off and trying to provide as best as he could for his family and his extended family. Yep. He worked as a guard at a veterans hospital in, in the Bronx. And uh, by all accounts, he was just, uh, he seemed like a really, like a good guy. Like Seth was saying, he took care of everybody, even the kids that weren't his, you know, like they were. Um, That's, Mickey and his brothers, Henry and Joseph were, uh, Mickey and his brothers, Henry and Joseph were always kind of, Annoyed by the fact the fact that they had to keep the last name of Featherstone, even though they were Charlie Boyle's kids, but they had to keep that name because when they went to find Charlie Featherstone to serve him with the divorce paperwork, he just just up and disappeared. So yeah, so they never the officially got divorced. Yeah, and it was law of the time that even though legally she was married, they had to have the last name of Featherstone. And wasn't it actually? Uh didn't Mickey uh, have like a little bit of resentment for his, at his mom? Like, well, I mean, this does come out later on, but like, about they they thought his last name, he thought his first name was what Matthew or something. Yeah, or and it was, was Francis. Yeah, I I can get that. That's my middle name, and it's kind of an irritating thing to have somebody call you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the boys grew up fighting with other neighborhood kids, and more often than not, each other. Um, typical family fashion somebody fucked with one of them they were going to put their differences away and they were going to go after the the perpetrator of the 
of the fight, <laughs> and, you know. Of the disagreement. Yeah. Isn't that how it always happens, though? Yeah, for the most part. No. All right, fine. You know, I had an older sister. She didn't care about <laughs> shit. She was six years older than me. When I was getting beat up, she's like, yeah, well, maybe you shouldn't be an asshole. Thanks. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. Don't say it. Got a point. <laughs> yeah, being a kid that looked like Chucky Finster in the 90s was really helpful. Dude, you, I bet you did look like Chucky. <laughs> yup. Alcoholism and drugs. Did you wear? Did you have bib overalls too? Please tell me you did. <laughs> no, but I had big glasses, crazy hair. You didn't have and the freckles. black teeth though. So. No, but it doesn't matter. I either look like Chucky from Child's Play when I was crazy, or I look like Chucky Finster. <laughs> Yay! And as soon as you get older, you look like a fat carrot top. I'm not a comedian. Oh. What, what about the kid from? Uh, what about the kid from uh, uh, Problem Child? Did you ever get that one? I never wore bow ties. He was a little ginger, too, though. Yeah, fuck you. He had a fucking bowl cut. He was a creepy-looking yeah, little shit. Yeah, and when my parents like, let's go to get your haircut, I'm like, shave my head. <laughs> yeah. oh, fuck all y'all. Anyway, continue. So, a lot of the time when these little fights would break out, uh, Mickey would actually kind of take off and let uh, the older boys take care of it for him. You know, typical little you know younger brother thing. You know, you start the fight and run away from it. I didn't see anything saying that his parents, like, beat or abused him or any of his siblings but they had very little supervision and he spent a lot of time when he was a kid just kind of hanging out on stoops walking the streets just you know doing typical little kid thing yeah playing, playing some stick ball you know and i mean being hooligans mickey was by no stretch a saint uh when he was 10 years old he got pissed off at a teacher in school because apparently he fell asleep in class and the teacher smacked him in the back of the head so so he gets up and whips his chair at this guy at this teacher and uh they actually reassigned him to a 600 school for troubled kids seriously who hasn't fallen asleep in class yeah but this was back in the day where a teacher could wail on you if you you know you screwed up my psychology teacher there was a kid falling asleep he walked over and he was a power lifter picked up the actual desk and shook him and then put it back down and the kid woke up he's like like, weird you had an earthquake there bro (laughs) I, I always got a ruler snapped across the back of my hands when I fell asleep. That was fun. Get those plastic ones. Got a lot of bend to them. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Fucking great. Uh, but he, he desperately wanted to follow in his father's footsteps. And a lot of the stuff that I said, like, it seemed kind of limited what the Irish kids in New York could, could really do back in the day. What, like, choices for careers. Like, you could either, A, go into the military, B, join the police, See, become a, a priest, which Mickey Featherstone was not going to fucking become a priest. No, no. Or D, <laughs> and the final answer for both of our guys was become a criminal. Well, isn't, isn't there also uh, Doc working too? Because they were so close to the to the yeah, water like that the, you know the, the, most the, of them... the longshoremen and stuff like that. There was a lot of that, but yeah. But like the the main like if you wanted to. Really, get out of the get out of Hell's Kitchen, get out of the neighborhood, and actually make some money. Yeah, you wanted to make something of yourself. These were the other choices that pretty much you were going to end up doing. Yeah. So he actually ended up dropping out of high school at the same age as Jimmy Coonan at seventeen uh, in 1966, and he joined the joined the army, which he actually lied about to actually join the military. Yep, which was a common occurrence too. Is you know you tell him, oh, I'm this age. Well. Who's going to have their birth certificate or know anything about it? So, like, well, he looks kind of old enough. He looks like a decent size. And even though he was a smaller person or a smaller child or teen, during this time, they're like, we need bodies. 
because wasn't there a special little war yeah. going yeah. on? And war in and I, and I, Yeah. I mean, it was, it was And I tell you what, the one thing the one thing I heard about him, though, growing up, they said he was scrawny, but they said when he hit you, like, you knew it. Oh, yeah. Because they said, man, even though he was a little guy, they were like, that dude had fists of steel, man. Oh, yeah, you got to, when growing up in the streets and being a small person and not really, you have older brothers. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, that's kind of what like, it is right there, is the older yeah. brother thing. And that's yeah, kind of one of the things that they had that Jimmy and Mickey had in common. They were both scrappers. Yeah, they, you know, Mickey was, uh, and Jimmy was like what, uh, five seven, something like that. Yeah, the, like, and Mickey was five nine, like one hundred and forty pounds. Yeah. He was a little fella, and, but and, but Mickey, I mean, uh, Mickey was or Jimmy was like, you know, hey, I'm gonna kick somebody's ass, you know, yeah. because I know how to box, and well, he used that to his his advantage. It's either become a either be a victim or, you know actually show your dominance in one way shape to be honest though like that's the reason my mom put me in boxing when i was when i was young i was scrawny got picked on all the time she's like hey how about this sport (laughs) about two years later people quit picking on me i'll tell you that much (laughs) see it was a fat fuck so nobody picked on me because you're just like he's just gonna sit on him They're trying to figure out what you're doing there. <laughs> Are you me? Pixie sticks? <laughs> nope. No, my new uh, my new sponsor is a CBD oil company. Oh, so. Oh. Nice. Mike, so Mike, if you guys are into if I'm you guys watching. are into that, I uh, yes. when this uh, my I'm gonna put out a Sammy the Bull Gravano episode before oh. this one, probably on on Monday, and. Uh, There'll be a discount code for you guys, fifty percent off and what free the fuck, shipping. Man, we're working with you. We can't even get samples, <laughs> dude. I'm telling. I fucking break all the samples, dude. I can't help it. Like they sent me lotion dude, too. Like, like I fucking up, haven't gotten into that, but yeah, like I'll send you more I here's beer. the twenty twenty four hundred milligram. Like it's about gone, bro. I'll hook you up with a hobby holder. Hook me up with them bitches. <laughs> now, if that shit helps you sleep, I am very yeah, interested. It it's good. It's it, nice act- it actually does. It's it it uh, helps anxiety and helps you sleep at night. Oh, fuck. It's yeah, because I, I I can't like smoke weed anymore. I, I tried recently and I had a really weird high and I got all paranoid and couldn't fucking sleep. It sucked. <laughs> I tried to get my dad yeah. to into that, but he just won't. Cause, you know, military, government. You know about that. Right? No, no. You're done. Oh, yeah, Only those maybe, goddamn hippies are doing the bit. weed drinks. <laughs> <laughs> no, the government just won't let him do do that. So he's like, you know, I'll, I'll try it, but you know, they won't let me. So anyway, so anyway, um, join the army. Yeah. Uh, after he graduated from basic training, he found himself stationed in the Natrang headquarters of the Green Berets, which was kind of it was kind of always his dream, like. Growing up as a kid, like they would sit out and they'd sing the fucking like the Green Beret hymn out on the steps, and like everybody wanted to be a Green Beret. Yeah, because they were the badasses of the time, and everybody looked yeah. up to them. And uh, yeah. now Mickey was, but not technically. <laughs> he technically was a Green Beret, but he was actually only attached to them as regular army. And he worked as a clerk in a, a warehouse on the base, so he was entitled a Green Beret. On but, paper. Yeah, but not in action. So he couldn't, uh, he could be like, oh, yeah, you know, like, it'd probably work to pick up chicks, be like, yeah, I'm a Green Beret. Stock clerk. <laughs> no, you just said, you just said, yeah. <laughs> Special Forces uh, shelf stacker. Dude, I can stab napkins like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll stab. I'll stack your napkins. You won't even know it. So, don't steal my joke, kid. Get off my dick. So he spent his time stuck in the warehouse, and when he wasn't there, he was out getting shit faced at the local GI bars. Um. In 1967, he was reassigned to D Company 5th Special Forces Group in Kantho Province on the Mekong Delta. And this area in 1967 was uh, was pretty rough. So he was really excited to finally maybe get out and see some action. Um, but again, ends up stuck in a warehouse. Uh, every once in a while, they did have him, like, let him go out on, like, the helicopter mail runs for the guys that are out in the field and stuff like that. But... He never saw like he any. Pa- he was essentially a paper pusher, yeah, and that actually broke his heart because that's always like pretty much all he wanted to do was be a Green Beret and see action, which of the time was a little interesting to have somebody that was, for lack of a better term, gung ho to be in the military yeah. during the Vietnam War and want to see combat and want to see action because a lot of times people are like there due to obligation, not due to they want to be there. Yeah, not everybody's flying in a helicopter shooting, at, you know, people in a in a in a rice paddy. We're know. gonna not make any metal, you know. any full metal jacket references. But, though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but I mean, you know, he, he I have was, seen him with a garden hose. <laughs> but I mean, that was you know, he he was he was that guy. He mm-hmm. wasn't like everybody else going, you know, I, I don't want to be here and. You know, I'm gonna opt out or yeah, anything. This, He's he like, I want to go. Yeah, this was his dream job. And I, I read something in um, I can't remember the name of the book. It was uh, written by a Vietnam vet who they did a, a study that the average life expectancy during the height of the Vietnam War for a non commissioned officer in the United States Army was about 12 minutes once they once they hit combat. So not a lot of people like you know really looking forward to yeah to doing that. Yeah. Yeah, so, but Mickey, man, he was all about it. Oh yeah, he was he was super excited. Like he really wanted to to get out in the field. Um but one night when he was out at the bar, um yeah, th- this part gets a little rough. <laughs> yeah, he uh, saw some action, but it's not the action yeah. he anticipated. Yeah, this part is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of it kind of, you know, you get like a fan of pain a little bit where you're just like, "Oh, no, don't." You cringe <laughs> a little bit. You yeah. Will, you'll know of this but also to probably hopefully you don't yeah. remember this so one night he was out drinking with some of the some medics and orderlies and uh one of them pointed at him and said what do you say we give this chair your circumcision and mickey was pretty wasted at this point and when he woke up the next the next morning he found his dick wrapped up with gauze and medical tape they had actually circumcised him. They weren't kidding. Yeah, it's like, well, okay, I understand there are some things that you do to lighten the mood. Like, I have family in the military. I've had, you know, they were in the military. They did some crazy stuff. But think about that whole thought process of you're out drinking with somebody. So, like, the far with a random person, number five. And we're joking around. And then one of us makes that, you know, call. Like, hey, let's give that dude a circumcision. What do you think will happen? So what what do you one everybody's been drinking two everybody's been drinking three this little dude's crazy because he wants to be there and it's like <laughs> I, I it's just that flabbergasted me because it's like why like why would you do that why not shave off his eyebrow and how do you know he wasn't circumcised already you know right, weird well you would find out once he got there be like oh it's already done 
Shit. All right. Let's oh, yeah. do something else. I'm also sure that as, as somebody who was in the military, you pretty much know who's circumcised yeah. and who's not. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, I don't know, man. When I was in college, we did stupid stuff, but nothing along that lines. We just wrapped people in saran wrap. Yeah, man, and, and <laughs> We don't mil- want them to go bad. We don't want to spoil. On a military base, I imagine they probably don't have individual shower stalls back in, you know, 1967. I mean, yeah, I mean, I heard my, my dad told me stories about in Iraq. One guy, you know, what he did to pass the time, which was... Circumcised dudes. No. Oh. He actually dressed up all black, and then he would uh, run up along the, the fob uh, wall. And if you don't know what the, a fob is, it's a forward operating base. He would run up along the wall... And then he'd see somebody that was uh, their back turned, and he would jump down and scare the living shit out of them. And then he'd run off. Well, the guy... That's a real kept, smart thing to do with a bunch of trained killers. I, it was. But the guy, they nope. still, <laughs> they got so mad at him that they actually put a, a bounty on his head that anybody that actually caught him got paid the money you know, just so the guy would stop. I mean, that's something that I can see, you know, hey, let's do that for fun. Not going and just circumcising someone. Just like, hey, fuck it. Let's have some fun. Yeah. Well, I was a police academy. Someone <laughs> just climbed up on the roof, and that's all they did. Yeah, right? <laughs> okay. So he uh, he got released to go back home on leave on September 26th of 1968. And here's where his building of a reputation on the streets of Hell's Kitchen would start. Um Four days after he returned from his tour of duty, he got into a situation where four dudes jumped him. Uh, they'd gotten into an argument at a bar on uh, on Ninth Avenue, and one of them had a baseball bat, and they smacked him in the face and knocked a bunch of his teeth out and broke his nose. Ow! So, yeah, due to this situation and also when he was in the military, he started really seeing everybody as a threat and became suspicious of everyone. So when he was home, wherever he was, rightfully so, being messed with and also being a, a smaller man, he became very paranoid and wanted to be left alone and not really being around too many people because, you know, once you get, you know, circumcised without your permission and also just recently getting beat up, it kind of changes your mental output on with people and society. And, you know, I just kind of thought about this. How good of a circumcision are you going to get from four drunk dudes? That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. Damn, that would fucking hack job it's like getting a bad haircut except it doesn't grow back all right all four of us get drunk we will go get like zucchini or cucumber and you got to carve that thing into a wiener whoever does the best wins whoever does it bad has to sit on it sorry i'm breaking the tension here man because this guy's it is we need chuckle fuckery stuff (laughs) so about a month later after that initial fight he got into another fight. Uh, this time he was accosted by an armed robber. Uh, they, the guy came at him with a twenty-two, And the way I worded it, I had, to, I had to do it, dude. He defended himself with a trash can lid like a hobo Captain America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in the struggle, he was, uh, he was shot in the arm with a... Tw- uh, he was shot in the arm. The next day he'd get out of the hospital. They didn't get the bullet out. It was right around his elbow. Um, but this would be one of the last times he would actually get into a fight without having a gun with him. Um, especially considering, again, like we've said before, Mickey wasn't a big dude. Nope. Hell's Kitchen was dangerous. It, it only made sense to, to get a hold of a... Well, one of the last times he actually didn't have a, a weapon on him. That's what I said. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So... On All some, right. Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. um, what were you going to say? Oh, nothing. I was... Uh, nothing. Okay. <laughs> on September 26, 1968... 
he was out at the market diner with his brother Henry and a couple of guys he knew from the neighborhood, Tommy McElroy. And uh, these two dudes came in from New Jersey, uh, John and Jimmy Riley, and they kind of just started. They were ru- they were rough, like little ruckus rousers, you know, guys that like to create a little bit of problems wherever they go. I think they had their own little small time gang in New Jersey. Yeah, Nothing, they were known as the Riley boys for the longest time. Yeah, they're just running off of the mouth, causing everybody yeah, trouble. Exactly. Um, John walks up and uh, asks Mickey for a cigarette, and Mickey pretty much told him to fuck off. Told him. These are New York cigarettes, not New Jersey cigarettes. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know they were, you know, se- segregated like that. Well, well, when you when you're basically telling somebody, you know, hey, go yeah. fuck yourself. Oh. These are mine, you know. I know. <laughs> um, so this this quickly turned into an actual physical fight, and Mickey was told to go home because being on leave from the military, he stood more chance of getting into deeper trouble than the other the other two guys would have if that mm. yeah. turned into an actual fight. So shortly after he got home, he got a call uh, saying that the Rileys were back and they were armed with, like, baseball bats and tire irons. One of them had a fucking axe. And uh, Where do you pull that stuff out? Good question. Well, Mickey returns with a hunting rifle that his, uh, his dad had had, and he hunkered down on a little, like, grassy little hill. And he started just taking pot shots at the car and, uh, and John Riley, and he actually hit John Riley in the arm. And... Uh, after he hit him, he went running down off the uh, off the hill, and fucking smacked him in the face with the uh, with the stock of his rifle. And then when he went down, uh, McElroy grabbed a tire iron and just started hammering on him, just hitting him in the head. And uh, Bobby Featherstone actually had to punch him in the face to get him to stop. So this went from this went from a fight into a manslaughter charge the next day when John Riley walked out of the hospital and died on the pavement just outside. Oof. From the uh, the head injuries that he'd he'd received from the tire iron, you think that they would have kept him in the hospital for a little you'd, while you'd longer so. since getting shot, getting beat up with a butt of a rifle, then getting hit with a tire iron? Yeah, not to mention all the other things with like punches and kicks and all the other stuff. Yeah, way to go, hospital! Should they should have got probably Mickey, Mickey's mom contacted the commander at Fort Dix to tell him that her son probably shouldn't be allowed to go back <laughs> into the uh, into the service <laughs> and uh he agreed with her and he told her that they didn't want him back anyway after being re- uh, after being released he uh he'd had to go through a mental evaluation and was diagnosed as suffering from a nervous condition that manifested itself in terrible nightmares hard drinking inability to sleep and a tendency to withdraw from the outside world he was also suffering from hallucination hallucinations he yeah said, too yeah we he, he heard that too even though he didn't have, he didn't see any action firsthand. I think a lot of the stories that people were telling him kind of fucked him up. And he got circumcised. Yeah. Without his own permission. Yeah. When he was drunk. Who else knows what other stuff happened that he didn't want to talk about? Yeah, they yeah could no have been shit. Blanket right? party with a soap and a rope. Mm. There could have been plenty of other hope things. Not. Well, this is all like this is just during the time where they had to pass time, and he was looked like he was the weakest one. So they went after him. And he was a drunk, so he's easy target anyway. Yeah, and plus he was, you know, now they could have seen it as he was fucking up. So, hey. Got to teach him a lesson because you're yep. making us all look bad. Uh, the assigning of emergency medical back to a com... Oh, I'm sorry, this is a... A quote. This is a quote. The assigning of emergency med- of emergency medical back to a combat area will probably bring back the difficulties that it previously created and probably with much more intensification. The experiences the young man went through while serving his uh, his one year appear to have been traumatic, 
for even a mature, well-adjusted individual to cope with. And that's how his mental evaluation ended. And he would end his military career as a driver and mail clerk at uh, Fort Hamilton in Brooklyn. He was honorably discharged from the United States Army May 13th of 1969. So one of the things we actually didn't really touch on, too, is during this time, he said he was of legal age to be an adult, to be in the military. Right. He was still technically a child, and these were going on during his developmental years, too. Yeah. So that could be another thing of, like, of his mental break in his capacity of what he could handle, what happened to him. Yeah, then, because at that point in time, your brain isn't completely formed still. Yeah, because you're looking you know, up to these people and you respect these people, and these are obviously, you know, being Green Berets and everything, you want to be like them, and now they're... <laughs> everything seems to be like the dice keep stacking up against them. Yeah. In Agreed. July of the... Oh, in July no, I was of 19, just agreeing with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> In July of 1969, one second here, I gotta hit continue recording this. So I can no, you're good, man. In July of 1969, Mickey married a girl named Juanita Arturo. Um, kind of sad. Nobody actually showed up at his wedding because his family didn't like the idea of him marrying a Puerto Rican woman. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Others thought she was a, a square and didn't know how to have fun. Um, the, the marriage got off to a, a weird start. When uh, on their honeymoon, Mickey actually called his sister Joan to tell her that Juanita was terrified of having sex with him. And uh, he put her on the phone and they just kind of talked. And it, it was a weird situation. Like, I couldn't imagine if I had a sister just being like on my honeymoon being like, hey, talk to my wife. Tell her it's OK to have sex with me. I would never, you know? ever call my sister. <laughs> Fucking weird. Like, what the fuck? You yeah. know? I actually, I was drunk at my sister's wedding, and I made the uh, the toast of, may all your ups and downs be in between the sheets. <laughs> and then she looked at me, and my newly crowned brother-in-law goes, why do we invite him again? I also drank a handle of uh, Maker's Mark. Well, you know. Anyway, can, sorry. So on, on one of the few nights that Mickey actually came home to go to sleep, he snapped awake from a nightmare and started strangling Juanita. Uh, she left him the next day, took all the furniture, everything with her. Um, and later on, Mickey would actually tell the doctors that he was having a nightmare about the war and had mistaken Juanita for a Viet Cong fighter. So he hmm. had some PTSD going on, I think. Mm-hmm. And he just snapped awake from a, a nightmare and was like, oh, shit, and just started choking whoever. And turns out it was his wife. After she left him, Mickey would move back in with his parents. And uh, shortly after moving back in, he found himself in the Veterans Hospital in the Bronx where his father was the head of security. That's got to be so weird. Yeah. You're there as a patient, and your dad has to watch over you as head of security and then constantly checking on you. Like, that has got to suck for the dad and obviously for his mom. But even for him, like, he must feel like he let his parents down, specifically his, you know, his father, because he looked up to him. But for for this one, it was probably kind of like whatever because he actually had an abscess on his neck that he wanted to have treated so it wasn't oh, for that's right. it wasn't yep. for uh, a, a psychiatric issue at this point um, but after they treated the abscess they sent him off to the psych ward and they were he, where he was described as having an anxious and hallucinatory with suicidal and homicidal ideations so they recommended that he hang out for a little bit, and he agreed with them. He's like, yeah, I guess I'll stay here and, you know, maybe try to figure some of this shit out. Yeah, I got nothing else going on. Good move. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was right? at the ho- <laughs> <laughs> While 
While he was at the hospital, he was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic with an alcohol addiction and something the doctors called traumatic war neurosis. He spent about a month in the psych ward uh, telling stories of having to kill Cambodian spies and seeing his friends decapitated and seeing people dead all over the place that had been killed by the Viet Cong or the Green Berets. Like, like he was having some hardcore flashbacks of stuff that he never even experienced. Must have been in a different time period or something. You know. Well, not only that. Well, I mean, that paranoid schizophrenia, I mean, you know, you never know what you're going to get with that. Yeah, and as Kevin C. alluded to earlier, like, you probably came back and sitting at the bar hearing people talk about this stuff so candidly. Like, two soldiers talking about, oh, you're not going to believe what happened to, you know, Jenkins or whoever. That all this negative stuff and all this bad stuff is going on. And obviously, he's probably sitting there getting drunk and he's listening to it. And who hasn't heard a story and automatically it's that thing of, well, yeah, totally. And then now you add on the mental trauma that he's gone through. He's automatically going to assume they're his memories. Or the stuff he, well, as Kevin also said, that he could have heard stories of guys coming back from the front line. That, that's what I just said. I thought you said at the bar. It doesn't, well, regardless, it's, he probably heard these stories. True. Yeah. And okay. he's assuming that they're his own because obviously. Doesn't matter if it's here or there. You know, yeah. Yeah. So in April 1970s, the, in April of 1970, the doctor sent him shuffling back out into the world on a cocktail of drugs of like antidepressants, tranquilizers. Um, the staff referred to it as a liquid straitjacket. So they had yeah. some pretty good shit. Um, yeah, they said he could barely, there were times he could barely walk, you know, yeah, barely keep one foot in front of the other. Yeah, and um, during one of his trials, like, they had him so doped up during the trial that they brought it back to his cell afterwards and he just sat there and fucking stared at the walls. You know, it's like they had him on some pretty heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're going to well, let's continue on to on April 23rd, 1970. He walked into a bad situation at the Sunbright Saloon. The bar was absolutely stuffed with people. There was music was going like cranked real loud. And there was a sudden commotion and a gun was being passed around the bar. Um, Mickey was fucking hammered and the gun ends up in his hands. And there's a guy that he knew named Emilio uh, Rattagliata standing in front of him. The word going around that was that Emilio had pulled the gun on someone in the bar. And Emilio actually made a, a move to take the gun from Mickey. Mickey pulled the trigger, put a bullet in his guts. Everyone freaked out. They ends up taking the, bar, uh, taking the body outside of the bar so that the bar wouldn't be held responsible for having someone die there. So they kind of just left him on the, <laughs> on, the, on the curb. And... Uh, Mickey was rushed off into the back of a car and uh, driven to a friend named Joe, uh, Johnny Diaz's house where he's told, you know, hang out here. People on the street already know who killed him. They know who you are, you know. Yeah, lay low for a little while yeah. because if anybody mm-hmm. sees your face, they're automatically going to point it out to you. And the reason that they're trying to tell him to hang out and keep his head down is because Emilio Retagliato was one of Mickey Spillane's numbers runners. And he just killed him in a bar. Yep. But Featherstone didn't didn't sit still. He ends up stealing a twenty two from Johnny's house and uh, went out the door and just ran until he hit Ninth uh, Avenue and 45th Street, uh, the location of the uh, the White House bar, which, as Kevin was saying earlier, is owned by Mickey Spillane. So yep. Featherstone looks in the window, sees Spillane uh, sitting there having a drink, knocks on the window, 
and like Mickey Spillane turns around and looks at him and Mickey Featherstone's just kind of like waving at him trying to get him to come outside so he ends up going outside and Featherstone explains the situation saying it was all kind of fucked up like the, the killing couldn't have been helped he, you know there was no no way around it and uh Spillane being the kind of guy that he was he kind of reminds me of like like that same generation as like John Dillinger where he was like gentleman gangster like I'm not here for your money I'm here for the bank's money kind of deal yeah and that's literally I mean that was literally the dude's nickname I mean he was he was known as the gentleman gangster but I don't know some of his actions there through you know the early parts early and mid 60s you know like you know, kidnapping, like, he made a habit of kidnapping local businessmen, beating their asses, and literally ransom, ransom, you know, ransoming them to their only family members, and it's like, dude, you, like, I don't know, I think when he started doing that, and stuff like that, like, I think that's when, you know, people like Coonan, and some of the other guys were, were, were just like, what's you know, there's nothing gentlemanly about this. Like, he's literally taking his own people from his own neighborhood and kidnapping them and then holding them for ransom until their family pays. And I don't know. I mean, he seriously fucked up when he did it to Coonan's family. You it's know? like a weird, perverse but. version of Robin Hood, in a sense. He, he put a good yeah. face on it, yeah. you know, on all of his actions where he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to help the neighborhood anyway, but I'm going to kick the shit out of this guy behind you know like behind closed doors so nobody sees that yeah you also got to give it to featherstone too for being a man even though he brought a firearm he was still man enough to go right up to spillane tell him the whole situation and i would imagine spillane probably looked back and i was like you know that kid didn't have to do it he could have ran and hid and like never came back but he manned up and he came up to me and told me about what happened even though i already know that takes a certain set of stones that most people don't have Especially well, that it, it takes serious balls, but it also takes Mickey Featherstone being probably the craziest, one of the craziest dudes in Hell's Kitchen, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, he didn't care, you know? What's the worst that can happen? Get killed? Yeah. Okay. Well, exactly. you know, at least he went yeah, out on his own terms. Exactly. But, uh, Spillane actually told him, don't worry, kid. You've already got enough problems of your own. So he was just kind of like let him completely let him <laughs> off the hook for a murder. He's like, nah, fuck it, you're all right. <laughs> um, Probably gave him that whole like mobster like side head tap with like you know gentle like don't worry kid, ruffle his hair, send him on his way. Little bit of like an almost real rough slap like in Goodfellas, you know? No, no, no. Hey, how you More, doing? <laughs> like Gibbs in NCIS, uh, a slight little tap and like go on your way, young lad. Here's a chocolate. So as the pair, <laughs> as the pair of Mickey's are standing out on the sidewalk talking, a cop car turns down the street, and Feather, Featherstone's first thought is, "He set me up. He knew I was coming. He called the police, even though he had could have had no fucking idea that Mickey Featherstone's just going to show up at his bar and try to apologize for killing one of his guys." You know, yeah. So Featherstone takes off. He runs all the way to the Hudson River and tosses the twenty-two uh, over the railing down into the water. Hops on the subway and ends up up in the Bronx at his uh, at his parents' new apartment. He would actually eventually turn himself in and be charged with a justifiable homicide, meaning he wouldn't face charges for the killing, only the possession of an unregistered firearm. So, over the next two months, Mickey would uh, would be bounced around from uh, from police departments to veterans' hospitals, and 
fed a pretty regular diet of Thorazine and other drugs to to kind of keep him out of it for the most part. And in the process of being in these different institutions, Juanita actually showed up and had him sign divorce papers. Was he in a, a mindset to do so? Probably not, but he, he did it anyway. You yeah. know? He didn't want to be with her anymore. Yeah, no. Exactly. She didn't want to be with yeah. him, so. Yeah. Well, would you want to stay with somebody that fucking choked in your sleep? It wasn't. Unless you're into that? It was an accident, <laughs> and she didn't know what the safe word was. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't count. There's, there's too many consonants in that. Yeah, there's no vowels. So I'm, I'm coming up to September 30th of 1970. Is is that kind of in the same time frame as you guys? Jimmy gets out of jail then. Okay. Yeah, that's about, yeah. Okay, so the the real big one was September 30th of 1970. Gets into an argument with this guy named Linwood Willis at the uh, the Leprechaun Bar. Linwood Willis was a big dude. He was like 6'5", like 250 pounds, big southern boy. Um, and I, apparently Mickey and his two buddies, uh, Jimmy Russell and Kevin Kerr, who had just showed up at the bar, were apparently giving this guy... A, you know, dirty looks that he didn't like. So he comes lumbering over and he's like, you know, you, you guys are going to buy me a drink or I'm going to cut all three of you. So the other two kind of look at Mickey and Mickey's like, well, fuck it. I guess we'll take care of this. So again, he was a little dude. He was only like, he was like 5'9", 140 pounds soaking wet. He needs an equalizer. So he leaves the bar, starts walking down the streets looking for anybody that he might know that might have a gun. And he eventually and, ends up in uh, in Sonny's Cafe, where he ran mm-hmm. into Jimmy Coonan. And, uh, yes. He's like, he had hey. just re- he, well, I was going to say he had just, Jimmy Coonan had just recently gotten released from prison. Yeah, he, and, he, uh, he hadn't been out very long at that point. Yeah, he was not out very long. And as soon as he gets out of prison, you know, he starts working for, for uh, a dude named... Ruby Stein, yeah, well, you know, as a bodyguard and enforcer and shit. Before, but um, well, before, yeah, okay. no, go ahead, please. Or the say, well, before he actually, I mean, this type at this time frame, when he got out, he actually was like, all right, I don't, I, don't, I just need to have a fresh start because all my guys are gone, you know. Oh, all of Jimmy's True. guys, all, all, all my guys gone. Yep. You know, Eddie's in jail. He's in jail for life. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Jackie's in jail. Who's who's his brother? Yeah, he's Jackie Coonan. He's in there for a bit. Uh, and then Bobby Hugard, who was also part of the crew, he's like, the "Hell with this shit. I'm out of here." You know, yeah. split town. Um, he's like, "So I, I got to start fresh. Start getting new contacts, engaging in new quick uh, cash schemes." And so at this point, he's. Like okay, I gotta go do a nine to five job, so he becomes a a carpet installer, and then, so I guess then you know at this time he's while being a carpet installer he sees yeah Mickey, yeah. so so Mickey, like Mickey and Jimmy weren't necessarily buddies like they knew more of each other than they knew each other yeah one is the they crazy. knew each other casually yeah they, you know they what were I mean I mean kind of um, Hell's Kitchen is like a small town it's like a tiny little small town so like a lot of the people know each other you know and uh uh, mickey and uh, jackie coonan i guess growing up were actually pretty good friends like they would hang out you know 
Um, so he actually knew Jackie better than he knew Jimmy. But he's, he walks up to Jimmy and he's like, hey, do you have a gun I can borrow for a minute? He's <laughs> like, I got some shit I got to take care of. <laughs> Jimmy didn't even hesitate. Just like out of his pocket, 25 caliber Beretta hands it to him. And he goes, yep, there you go, bud. Well, because well, yeah. Mickey actually knew that Jimmy would be carrying oh. at the time. So he's like, hey, yeah. you know, I'm going to. I see this guy. Oh, I know he's got a piece. Exactly. I'm not going to lie. Mickey Featherstone reminds me a lot of Begbie from Train Spotting. The littlest <laughs> dude in the bar, but also has the biggest ego and willing to throw hands and yeah. do whatever it takes to win a fight. So from this day forward, Mickey Featherstone would ha- would be fiercely loyal to Jimmy Coonan for the favor that he did for him here. So Featherstone, now armed with, again, a 25 caliber Beretta pistol, returns to Leprechaun Bar, calls Linwood Willis out. They step outside, and as they're going out the front door, Linwood Willis shoves Mickey in the back real hard. And uh, Mickey turns around, and he's like, hey, you got a gun? And Willis is like, yep. And he goes to reach in his coat. Mickey fucking quick, you know, quick draws, fires twice. He hit him once in the heart and once just a quarter of an inch lower from the first gunshot wound. So Linwood Willis would actually be dead before he hit the dirty sidewalk outside of the leprechaun bar. Yeah. Pretty what? pretty good for a fucking stock boy, you know. <laughs> pretty <laughs> good. Be yep. Proficient. Yeah. So Mickey would end up actually being arrested for Linwood Willis's killing and spent some time in prison. Um, he met his lawyer Larry Hockhauser in the Tombs in the fall of 1971, and Hockhauser uh, listened to Mickey as he told his, his side of the story, and he he had a lot of respect for him because. He was very candid about it. He was very open about everything that happened. Yeah. And he didn't try to play any games or lie about it. He was he owned up to it, like as we saw with Splane and a lot of everything. If he did it, he owned up to a lot of his own crimes, which is kind of a little bit of a foreshadowing for in the future. Well, because didn't he, like, yeah. when, after he shot the guy, he walked away. And, and the, the cops picked him up. Yeah. Yeah. We saw him, and, and he's like, like, dropped a gun, and he's just like, in a daze. Yeah. And he just, you know, he dropped yeah. it and was like, okay. No running, no nothing. No. He owns up to it. But a, a big thing for, for Hawkhauser would be the fact that none of Mickey's crimes were motivated by money or they revenge. They were premeditated. Yeah. They were just fucking spur of the moment, like, yeah. okay, I'm going to kill this guy passion. now. Yeah. It's, it's a crime of passion. Pretty much, yeah. And so, he ends up, doesn't he end up going to a, to a mental hospital? Yeah, he, he goes to a couple of different ones. Um, Becomes the model citizen in there, <laughs> making sure yeah. his bed is nice and neat. He has everything all shined up. So much so that he actually starts, like, downplaying and, you know, pretty much berating the other patients there. Yeah, and yeah he starts them, policing like, all the other people this, there. Do this. And they get frustrated with him to the point of he has to either be put on work detail so he's not in the major population or, which is even crazier, he gets taken out of General Pop and put in his own like little secure area. Yeah. Because he's such a model little and, citizen. And when he was in general general population, he was getting into fucking fistfights like on the regular. <laughs> he know? is baby from train spotting. <laughs> no, is, is this the point where he actually won from his his uh, tour of the prisons? Well, this is before he goes on tour. Yeah. Um, okay. It's before he comes the badass of prison. He could tell you about what kind of food they had, who had the best sheets, who had the best toilet paper. Come on, bro. 
this is the guy to talk to. And you're like, I'm going to prison. Where should I go? Well, it's like that scene in the, log- in the longest stars. yard where they're like, oh, no, no, man, you got to go to Attica. They got better. They got better cornbread than those guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one, he gave three stars. He's like, I tried it. I never wanted to go yeah, back. Yeah, tried it once, <laughs> one again. Um, but one, one of the things that Hawkhauser would tell him was uh, he said, quote, Mickey, there's only one way to fight this case, and that's an insanity defense. Mickey didn't necessarily disagree with him. Um, the tricky thing would be that no one had actually beaten a murder charge in the state of New York uh, in more than, like, well over 15 years. But the last attorney that got someone off of a murder charge on uh, insanity ch- on, on an insanity defense was actually Hockheiser's uh, mentor and employer. So he had a little bit of a little bit of an ace in the hole there. That guy was kind of uh, rather interesting, yeah. too. You know, they yep. get, get out your notepad. I'm going to tell you how to fight this uh, this psychiatrist. Don't talk about him. <laughs> don't talk to him about psychiatry. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, fuck, dude, that's crazy. Yeah, he, he does this like just uh, he's trying to talk to his, his girlfriend or whatever in the phone. And the guy, he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. OK, take out the notepad. Ready? Don't talk to him. OK, yeah. Hi, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, is that it? Yeah, yeah, get the fuck out of here. I gotta, you know, talk to my girl. Get out. <laughs> um, so do you want me to continue with that, with a little bit of the trial stuff, or do you guys want to go back to Jimmy for a minute? Yeah, let's let's get back to Jimmy yeah, for a minute, because this is when he starts, like, working for Ruby Stein, and, like, well, I mean, actually, um, he we can go back to the trial, because once we get back into into Ju- Jimmy in like 71 and through the early part of the 70s. It's like fucking bang, you know, bang, bang. Yeah. Dude, for real, like up until what, what, like the end of 70 or the end of 78, you uh, know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, during the trial, most of the doctors that had worked with Mickey over the years would be called to testify, and Hawkeiser uh, pulled out a wild card and actually got a hold of Mother Featherstone uh, to go up to the stand and try to humanize Mickey a little bit to you know make him not look like a complete lunatic yeah Um, it's a good character witness it is because she's seen from his childhood she's experienced everything with him and also when he came home as we talked about earlier during the whole things with Juanita he ended up staying with them yeah especially at his worst and she she would tell him you know he was uh you know he was always a happy-go-lucky kid then he went off to war and then when he came home, he was having all these nightmares. Um, so I've actually got like a quick little transcript of her testimony, and Seth is going to read. Yeah, for sure. Seth's going to read Larry Hawkeiser's lines, and I'm going to take over for uh, for uh, Dorothy. When you say nightmares, can you describe what you observed with regard to having an apparent nightmare? Can I give you an example? Please do. I had to buy a second TV because Mickey would would sit up all night and uh, watch television after he'd come home because he couldn't sleep at night. So I bought a portable television set and put it in the kitchen. So Mickey was sleeping in the... <laughs> so Mickey was sleeping in the day, and it was around 6 o'clock. I had the news on, and my dog went, ooh, ooh, you know, like whining like. I looked in the room, and the dog was backing up. And when he came out further, I seen my son was on his stomach crawling like a snake. The dog's hair was up on his back, and I run to the sink and threw the towel in the sink and got water on it. I threw it at Mickey and run out of the house. And then I heard the dog barking and Mickey was laughing. I went in the house and he had the towel and he was playing with the dog. And at this point in time, she actually started 
openly weeping on the stand. He says to me, Mama, what happened? I said, you come out of your room crawling on your belly. And um, she indicates like elbows moving like he was belly crawling out on the floor. He looked at me like he didn't even see me. He looked right through me. So then he said to me, Mama, I didn't hurt you, did I? I told him, no, you didn't hurt me. And I put him back to bed and he cried for over two hours before he fell asleep. Now, I just have to ask a simple question. Do you think this really happened, or do you think she made this up or came up with this little story to protect him? Because this is during the era where, you know, Mama knows best, and Mama Bear will take care of her kids. And will do and whatever if any, And if any mother's going to take care of her kids, it's going to be an Irish mother yes, with sir. nine of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? She'll go to bat for those kids, dude. So, like, it makes me wonder, like, when I read this, is like, I can kind of see it, but also, she's been through so much, and this is her baby. Right. You He's, know. He is, he is the baby. Yep. Yeah. So, it's like, it makes me wonder, did this really happen, or did parts of this happen? I don't know. It's just, it makes me question it a little. Well. The validity. No, it's intriguing. Well, for all intents and purposes, the trial was actually over after her testimony. Um whether it was a lie or not the jury bought it and uh mickey was convicted for possession of an unregistered firearm again but found not guilty of the murder due to quote mental defect now didn't that uh, didn't didn't act was like through reading the books and stuff didn't they actually say that uh some of the um because of her testimony some of the um um Jurors. Jurors actually started crying. Oh, yeah, yeah. Up, like, there were some know. of them that were like... Well, dude, think yeah. about it. This is a heart-wrenching story. Yeah. You hear something like that, you see someone's mother crying, and automatically, like, oh, my God, yeah. Especially, he is a, quote-unquote, Vietnam vet, mm-hmm. and also he has mental issues that has been previously stated for when... Because they're obviously going to take into account... This lawyer is smart. They're going to take into account his military record. They're going to take into account his psychiatric issues and also the being a model patient at the psych ward. Mm-hmm. So right there, there's at least three factors that are pointing him in the right direction of he is a good boy, except for he has been established to have uh, schizophrenia and also he has paranoid delusions, which is obviously part of the schizophrenia. Yeah. But these are there's more leaning towards it that it was a... At the, we'll say a one-time deal that it was a complete crime of passion. This was not premeditated. He only st- strikes whenever he's being attacked. Mm-hmm. So, and it's like you get all these things stacking up on his side. And now you got a sob story. Yep. And it's like you, you kind of the scale just tipped completely his way. And you know he has insanity. Like it's it's a clear cut case that this lawyer was very smart in utilizing these tools for his defense. If the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Oh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about it, Johnny Cochran. It it, would have fit if they didn't make him wear a latex glove underneath it, but whatever. Yeah, and took him off his uh, and took him off his anti-inflammatories where his fucking hands are swollen. Yeah, you know. So Mickey would say his goodbyes to his family and be brought back to his cell in the tombs, where he would get pumped full of Thorazine again sit there and stare at the walls and the floor and uh, and await the sentencing for his gun charges. Um, but he would end up 
in prison until May of 1975. So I don't know if you guys want to pick back up with uh, with some Jimmy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah so. we'll go ahead and pick back up. So 1971, Jimmy gets out of prison, and like I said previous, he was like, "All right, well, I'm gonna try to keep things, you know, on the uh, clean side. I'm gonna be a carpenter, uh, carpet installer, do the nine to five thing." And that really wasn't for him because no. it hindered his progress on the street. Um, and so he wasn't long before he actually went back to hijacking warehouses, sticking up liquor stores, and kidnapping merchants. Yeah, it's, it, it's hard to be a criminal if you try to go straight, you know? Exactly. <laughs> uh, in, February of, in February of 1972, Jim, Jimmy actually kidnapped a, a tax broker in Staten Island. And because the police couldn't get any witnesses to charge Jimmy... Um, they actually he got away with the crime, because nobody wants to talk. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. who the hell's gonna want to talk against Jimmy? You know, they know he's nuts. Exactly. Um, <laughs> in early 1973, Jimmy uh, bought a, a into a saloon that was once known as McCoy's, and mm-hmm. they actually renamed it uh, the Five Ninety Six Club. Yeah. But because of Jimmy having a record. He knew that he couldn't actually put uh, the club in his name, so he actually put it in the name of his brother-in-law <laughs> instead. Yeah. But everyone knew whose bar it was. They never called it the Five Ninety Six Club. They actually called it Jimmy's Place. And wasn't one of uh, wasn't one of one of Jimmy's brothers the bartender? Uh, I believe maybe yeah. Wasn't it Jackie? Jackie made. I thought. I thought it was Jackie. Yeah. And uh, Bill, Billy Beatty was a, a bartender there for quite yes. a while too. Billy. Beatty yeah. Yeah. That's was true. Was a bartender yep. there. Yep. Um, so it wasn't long before the the Five Ninety Six Club actually became Jimmy's headquarters or base of operations, um, which was uh, became the rival bar to the White House Bar, which was owned by Mickey Spillane. And there was actually one guy amongst all the guys that had the testicular fortitude to actually not only hang out at the White House bar, but also at Club 596. This guy was named Edward Eddie Kamuski. He spent a lot of And this guy was a bad (laughs) motherfucker. Dude, he seriously was. Like, I I was, like, when I was researching, like, I found myself trailing off to this guy. I was like, this dude is fucking insane, man. He he could have been his own episode. He is a fucking loon. (laughs) (laughs) He really is. Um, He actually had spent a large amount of his years in prison. And during one of his stints in prison, he actually was at Attica. And it so happens that while he was at Attica... The 1971 riots actually took place, which was I was like, "That's fucking sweet," <laughs> you know. I mean, my, oh yeah. I mean, he probably did kill somebody. He probably had to have more. Well, <laughs> he was a he was a butcher's somebody, maybe. And the best part is when he was in prison, this Eddie Kaminsky, like he was a butcher's apprentice. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like his nickname was Eddie the Butcher, because he would be the one to eventually teach Eddie or teach Jimmy Coonan like how to cut up bodies and dispose of them and it's it's insane man like this dude was just insane yeah, yeah. cuz you and I actually had a conversation 
couple of days ago where I'm like, dude, I think DeMeo and Kamiski were cutting up bodies at the same time. I don't. I think they learned it separately, and it was like a parallel fucking timeline. And they just kind of really like, was, dude. And here they yeah. come, you know. Kind of. I don't. I don't understand that. Did they go to the same trade school? <laughs> we. I actually asked him. Like, I wonder if they learned from the same fucking dude. That'd be great. He goes around. Well, he goes, uh, hey, let me teach you how to cut up some peoples. Hey, you want to learn? Well, when, I have, I have, I have a class. You know, down on West Street, about like two thirty. Bring your own knives. Let me teach you how to cut up beef. Wink, 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 wink. Yeah. <laughs> well, when this fucking uh, when DeMeo was growing up, he worked at a uh, he worked at a grocery store with a with a butcher shop and deli in the back. So when he was a he was a teenager and he was like running groceries for this grocery store, he he really didn't have any high aspirations. So uh, you know he was so good at his job running these groceries that they're like, hey, you know why don't you train with the butcher? You know he's like obviously you're good at what you do, you're a fast learner, you're kick ass at your job. You know this is the next step up. So like that's, how, that's how that's how Mayo learned. Oh. Yeah, that's how Mayo learned. And again. He put those skills to to use. That's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so Eddie uh, was actually Mickey Spillane's hired muscle, in quotes. And mm-hmm. but this didn't stop Jimmy from talking to him. He's like, eh, maybe I'll win him over. So anytime Eddie would actually come to the five ninety six club, they would actually be seen in a corner just chit chatting. For hours and hours upon end, which you know helped him in the long run to uh, you know, to become friends with him. <laughs> oh, they, yeah, <laughs> match made in heaven. Exactly. Yeah, for re- it really match was. Match made in hell's kitchen. <laughs> exactly. It's like a dating service. <laughs> Sorry. So, sometime around 1974. Jimmy actually went into business with a loan shark by the name of Anton Tony uh, Lucic. Lucic? Luch? Lucchese? Lucchese. Uh, sure. Tommy Lucchese. There, there's a Lucchese and there's a Lucic, I think, isn't Luch? there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about Lucic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. C-I-C-H. Yeah, I'd go with Lucic, I think. You're right. Yeah. Luch, Tony, we'll just call him Tony. Uh he was a man of stature in the neighborhood of Hell's Kitchen, and he he was a man that Jimmy felt could teach him a thing or two in regards to lo- the loan shark business. Now, I will say that in the 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 book that one of the books or the book I was reading, they actually didn't call it loan sharking; they actually called it uh, another term, which I was like, "Wow, that's a very kind of derogatory term." That I was like, "Nah, we're not going to even." It's, it's just just way, way bad. How can you get away with that? Yeah, then I looked it up and I went, oh, wait, that's actually not what it means. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. but And I'll, it, for anybody listening, too, there's a, there's a really great book called Paddywhacked, and uh, it's by TJ English. Yeah. And for anybody interested in this subject matter, go read that book. It is absolutely amazing. Actually, Kevin and I both did most of our research off of uh, off of his book, The Westies, and it's it was a fucking great read. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I kind of want to read. Uh, he's got a new one out, uh, the Corporation, about uh, Cuban numbers runners in New York City back in like the fifties and sixties. It looks pretty fucking cool. Mm. That looks good. Mm. Yeah. So Luch knew Luch knew, knew that he was getting too old to get into scraps, and that he needed a young guy. <laughs> So Jimmy was that young guy, 
and he went into business with him. And there was another guy that was uh, named Charles Kruger, who was actually uh, a bartender of Jimmy's at the 596 Club. Kruger didn't last very long, and so then so the partnership actually broke up. It went to just a two-way split. And during this time period, Jimmy was struck by the air of Cupid with love, and he fell in love with Edna Fitzgerald, his dream princess. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> she was a she was a crazy battle axe, dude. And that's why, like I, I it, like she is literally the definition of a ride or die chick. Yeah. So all you all you little girls out here posting on Facebook about how you're a ride or die boss chick, you're not yeah. shit until no. you're until you're Edna Coonan. All right, I'm just gonna throw that out there right now. Yeah, Edna was a tough bitch. She <laughs> let's put it that way. Do not use that word. She'll find you and break you. She's in jail. Doesn't matter. She knows people. Yeah, she's got yeah. connections, kid. <laughs> Probably. It's true. So Edna her was, kids actually a cool story like little side tale. Oh, um, one of his daughters is a uh, is a uh, well from the time of the publication that I read, uh, she was a star softball player in college, and I she was studying criminal justice. Yeah, yeah. One of one of Jimmy Kuna's daughters was a criminal justice major and a star softball player. Like. <laughs> I, one thing I learned from criminal justice <laughs> you know? is how not to get caught and how to use the system. I mean, uh, never mind. Well, look at Mickey Spillane's <laughs> kid. Uh, one of his boys was actually an actor. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he, he was actually. He just yeah. died like not too long ago. He fell out of, I guess he had hit, had his window open in his uh, his condo and he leaned against the screen and fell out from the fucking like fifteenth story. Holy so it's shit! Like, really? So it's almost like did he actually or? Yeah, this is where the conspiracy oh. brain goes. Like, wait a minute, maybe somebody pushed him. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Connections, and you know, they already we already talked about it. A lot of times, they hold grudges. Yeah, that's it true. Doesn't matter if it takes twenty, thirty Very years true. or whatever. They're going to get you back. They don't care if your dad's Very dead. True. We're still going to take it on you. Fuck yeah. So <laughs> that pound of flesh. So Edna, Jimmy's love of his life, was born Julia Edna Grody in nineteen forty-two. Uh, she was from a rather large family. She married uh, a guy previous named Frank Fitzgerald in 1962. They had two children together. Uh, unfortunately, Frank died from an overdose. And actually, before he died of an overdose, he was actually a cop, which I thought was kind of really, really? interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And cops can <laughs> have uh, some addiction problems. Yeah. No, I just never would have figured this woman for marrying a cop. Dude, easy no. way to know what's going on in the system. It's probably true. Uh, so, with him dying, it left her with the two kids. And she probably got really lonely. So, she got together with Billy Beatty. And they weren't for long to, uh, together for very long, and they broke it off. Well, Jimmy, knowing that they had just broken up, and being kind of old-fashioned and not a womanizer was like, all right, well, I have to go talk to Billy and say, you know, be like, hey, are you officially done with her? Can I, you know, pursue her and have a relationship? And Billy's like, go for it, buddy. Knock your socks off. I don't care. You know, it, 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 she's all yours. So within months of them being together, 
they actually plan on getting married. And then in July 22nd, 28th of 1974, they actually got married and moved to New Jersey and bought a home. Um, you want to go on anything, Justin? No, no, dude. I, I'm doing this episode to, like, highlight you guys. So <laughs> I'm totally, like, in all honesty, that was, like, my whole thing okay. that I wanted to do. So, like, you guys are doing fucking amazing, and I'm I'm not... <laughs> I'm not like displeased or anything like that. Like I'm, I'm right back in. Like I said, I'm probably gonna jump in when he starts re- working for Ruby Stein and Chip. Okay. Other well, than this that, is, this is close to. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, so they, he moves to New Jersey. They moved to New Jersey. Happy little couple that they are, um, and everything's running smoothly for Jimmy. His loan shark business is going great with Tony Lucic. And the bar is running perfect. It's, it's thriving. And this is when, in 1975, he actually meets Charles Ruby Stein, who is the most successful, <laughs> probably in the country. No, I would def- definitely say. East yeah. Coast, yeah. Uh, but I mean, probably some, the entire country you're yeah. right there. As a loan shark. And he, yeah. anybody that was anybody probably owned this guy fucking money. And they own yeah. big time. And that that was the whole thing about, you know, Ruby Stein. He ends up working for, for Ruby as a bodyguard and enforcer. And part of that was because Jimmy Coonan himself was in his books. You know, like basically Ruby Stein had, had a black book. And, I mean, he worked very closely with the five families, the Italian mafia, mm-hmm. you know, all five of them. And, and the Westies, and the interesting thing, right, like what's going on right now is when Jimmy Coonan moves to New Jersey, um, I don't want to say people from his neighborhood frowned upon that, but they kind of did because they're like, what, you know, like, what the fuck, man? Like, you're literally going to go move to Jersey? Like, this is Hell's Kitchen, dude. You're Irish, you know? Like, yeah, what are we doing here? We're leaving the fucking neighborhood for you, you know? Exactly, basically, and he's. But yeah, and and that's the thing, though. He's literally this whole time been collecting certain people. You know what I mean? He's been going around, and he's like, when he when he starts working for Ruby Stein, like he's in Ruby Stein's books, but a lot of the other Westies are too. So he's like, well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna, you know. Uh, how do I say this? When the whole time he's collecting all these certain people, he ends up forming like this this big group of people, and he's like, "All right, we're we're finally going to do this." You know, he's like, "People are going to have to decide because Jimmy Coonan is getting more powerful. He's getting more money. More people are respecting him. He's got a legitimate crew right now. You know, so he's like." He finally has the power that he needs to possibly overtake the city. So he starts targeting, like, all these Mickey Spillane loyalists. You know, he he starts going around and, and literally is – is it got to the point – it got so violent in Hell's Kitchen. And he he's going around. Jimmy Coonan's like, listen, you're either for this guy or you're for me. And if people didn't – weren't loyal to Jimmy Coonan, 
Jimmy would, you know, kidnap them, beat their ass, pistol whip them, whatever, whatever he had to do. He's like, either you're loyal to Mickey Spillane or you're loyal to me. And Mickey Spillane, like, he's in hiding by the mid-70s. Like, he, he knows. He's like, man, this is a little mother. He's like, man, I never should have kidnapped that dude's dad. <laughs> you know, he's like, Regret he's literally regretting bitch. it because, yeah, because Mickey Spillane, literally, he knows, like, what's going on, especially when he goes to work for Ruby Stein. Because Ruby Stein, like you guys had said, he is probably the most... He's the biggest loan shark in the damn country. Like everybody owes this guy money. The, the and, book that we, the book we used for a resource, actually referred to him as a loan shark's loan shark. Yeah, so like, exactly. He was no, that's exactly what he was. Out, you know. Yeah, and and there's they they said they're like they're like there's nobody out there that didn't owe this guy money. So Jimmy Coonan, you know, being an enforcer and his bodyguard. You know, he's going around collecting all these debts, and he knows how much money, you know, is owed to Ruby Stein, but he also realizes that, you know, at the same time, whoever has this black book, like, his mindset is, you know, and we'll we'll get to this here within the next year, you know, in our time frame here, but his whole mindset is whoever has this black book is the person who all these people owe money to. Like it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like if if I have this book, you owe me money. It's like, but anyway, you know, he starts. He, he's doing he's, some. He's moving some, his chess pieces on the board. And he really is. Yeah, he's, he's and it's honestly, right. he's not a dumb guy. You know, no. like he's he's looking for the for the future, and he sees his opening when he starts working for Ruby Stein. I think, and that's that's my personal opinion. But I mean, this dude is is like he's already fucking crazy yeah. you know like and i don't i don't mean certifiably like like mickey featherstone's literally <laughs> at this point in time in a fucking insane asylum you know what i mean like in a mental hospital yeah and mickey was legally crazy jimmy was you know actually <laughs> was still crazy but mickey yeah. was legally crazy he, yeah. he was never got, I mean, you know committed as you know or or, or uh diagnosed as being yeah. really fucking crazy exactly he was and like, an just an eccentric millionaire the, yeah something like that yeah. and, and like that's the best part like um you know not to not to foreshadow anything for the listeners but just to give you a little bit of context here at a certain point in time like jimmy coonan would would murder people cut up their bodies and then he would cut off their hands and he would save them he yeah. would freeze their hands and he would use their hands as fingerprints on murders that he would commit in the future. Or like, a psycho. That's how, you know or what I mean? Actually, that's how crazy this dude is. Or he would actually take their heads, he'd cut their heads off, put them in a bag, and then fucking yeah. walk around with the head in the bag. Yeah, so and go to different bars. Them? And he would go yeah. to different bars yeah. and pull out their head and be like, hey... I'm in charge now. You know, look at this guy. It's like you know, like Attila he literally Hun. did this shit. Well, yeah, dude, that's one way Vlad used to do it with the dead bodies. Yeah. Like it's a sign of dominance. Yeah, and if you have somebody exactly. who is the king, quote unquote king of the neighborhood, and you walk in and you just plop their head there, you'd be like, "Are you really gonna go after this person that brought you the head, or are you gonna be like, 
All right, well, now it's ride or die with this guy, and I really don't want to die because he literally has our <laughs> boss's head right there. Well, well, shit, even look at, like, the, the Mexican drug cartels where they will crucify people to fucking telephone poles for miles down stretches of road, you know? One of the only gangs, <laughs> the Latin gangs, I am legitimately terrified of, and I've seen their tags inside of feeder trailers where I work, the Matasucha 13. Yeah, They no. will mail someone's head if you just talk shit about them, and they find out about okay. it. Like, and they have no problems and qualms about that as an intimidation factor. So it's like, this has been going on for ages and still is kind of going on now. Yeah, it's, it's, it still is, yeah. So, yeah, so I take when he start, well, when he starts re- working for Ruby Stein, he basically starts targeting Mickey Spillane loyalists. Mm-hmm. You know, and, it, you know, there's, he's just doing a lot of shit right now. And actually, Kevin H is going to fill us in on some of this other stuff that's going on with him right now, too. So, the in June of twenty, uh, June twenty second, nineteen seventy five, the Vanderbilt Evans shooting happens, and this is uh, takes place. Be, or Jimmy gets involved in this because this one of the guys he knows, uh, John Reed, gets in an argument with Evans because Evans was walking along um, to the bar with a group of his friends and they were walking across the road. Reed was trying to go park his car and they wouldn't, they wouldn't move a, a bit for him. Well, Reed gets out of the car and he's a little short guy, just kind of like Jimmy and Mickey. You know, he, little guy syndrome. I'm, I'm tougher than I look. You know, yeah, Napoleon and, complex. Yeah, I'm going to kick your ass. Mm-hmm. Well, he you know, says, you know, basically confronts him and says you want to you know want to fight and Evans who is like 10 inches taller than Reed just smiles and that pisses Reed off even more so he's like you stay here I'll be right back and he goes into the bar into the club 596 and comes back out with a group of five or six guys (laughs) and one of the guys happens to be Jimmy Jimmy being a hothead you know he's like you know, I'll take care of this shit. So, some of them, some of the guys that come out are carrying baseball bats and sticks. So Evans like sees this and goes, "Well, I gotta take care. I gotta defend myself." Now, when you say sticks, do you mean like pool cues? I'm guessing. I'm probably that's probably what okay. it is. I'm, I'm just I'm trying just... to figure because I'm like, I'm... yeah, no, they went outside, grabbed the tree branch, <laughs> they and went... shaved it down to make it switch. They went out and cut <laughs> switches. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's <laughs> pool cue because that is typically a term for you know i'll grab those sticks over there and those fucking hurt too yeah dude oh yeah they do so evans sees all this and he's like i gotta defend myself so he grabs a metal con edison sign (laughs) as a weapon to use well jimmy sees that he grabs that and he pulls his 38 colt uh 38 colt special from his waist and fires at Evans, hits him twice, once in the shoulder and once just six inches from his heart. Now, during this whole interaction, two cops happened to be that were undercover, were in an undercover taxi car at the stoplight, close to where everything was happening, see it all go down. And they see as soon as they see him shoot him, they get the hell out and yell at Jimmy to halt and they arrest him. Well, when they bring Jimmy to the, the precinct, 
and they start questioning him, Jimmy says that, uh, no, I didn't take that on my waist pants at all. I actually found it. Someone dropped it. I picked it up, you know, being a good citizen that I am. Mm-hmm. And, and then he said also that, well, yeah, I heard somebody shoot, but I didn't know who it was. So, you know, he, he's trying to, you know, cover his tracks and basically make the cops look like, you know, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Um, Jimmy would now spend a couple of the, uh, the months of July and August 75 trying to get witnesses in his defense so that he could actually stay out of jail. And he did his job. He did his job and he did it well because he didn't go to jail for the shooting. He stayed the hell out. I mean, that guy's. I don't know how he did, how he did it. You know, maybe because he's a bad, bad, bad intimidation man. man. Yeah, money, cash, In, and also, dude, hey, it, guess it, what? There's, there's, yeah. Let let my people go. Otherwise, there, I mean, there's more than day. there's more than one instance where, I mean, you know, Jimmy Coonan was acquitted of a murder charge, where. Literally, you could hear – there's one report where you could hear one of the witnesses. I can't remember his last name off the top of my head. But, I mean, the, you could hear him in the other room like, I'm not testifying against this guy. I don't want to die. <laughs> you, you know? fucking crazy? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, dude, these – between Mickey Featherstone and, and Coonan, as you guys are going to come to find out over the course of the series – like they could have quitted a lot of times for murder and shit, like because yeah. people are so fucking anybody that witnessed it was so fucking scared of these guys, because it was it was known in Hell's Kitchen like they'll fucking kill you, like they won't think about it, you know. There's no if ands or buts. Like you're gonna fucking die, I mean, and nobody wanted to die, or your family will die if you're in witness protection. Because exactly. they'll come after whoever yeah. they can. And, I mean, e- even, like, where, where Seth and I left off with uh, with Mickey, at this point in time, he's already fucking beat three murder charges, and he's not even 21 yet. Yeah, and <laughs> they think that he still was doing some also other, you know, crimes that they could never pin on him, too. Exactly, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, now... Mickey's still in prison at this time, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. M- Mickey doesn't get out until 1975. Okay. Yeah. So well, yep. so so this is it's this about time right then. around this area. Yeah. Um. So I mean, if you guys do want to step in with Mickey at any point in time, you're you're more than welcome to. Because I was going to pick up in, you know, on July 20th and in uh you know 76 when, you know he the Coonan starts taking out. Well, he has Mad Dog Sullivan start taking out. You know, all the enforcers for, for Mickey Spillane before he decides to kill him. And to be perfectly honest with you, the way this is going, fellas, first of all, like, let me just say, fucking, you guys are kicking ass. Like, I'm loving this shit. And God damn it, I knew you were capable. And now my listeners, here's the deal, now my listeners are going to know you're fucking capable. So when I'm always late, when I'm six weeks late on an episode, they're going to be like, Oh, it's totally cool. We got like fucking five episodes of fucking Dark Windows we can listen to. <laughs> and, and but dude, what's going to happen, dude? I can honestly see this. Like, we'll have to arrange it. It's not, like, I can see this being three parts. And, yeah. like, not to draw it out, but there's so much information for people. I guess to, I, I would say we should stop here, you know, with uh, with him getting off the murder. 
But yeah. before we end that, I, I kind of wanted to, because we didn't really, t- we didn't touch on it, that um, when Jimmy actually got his gang together, his first little group of guys, mm-hmm. they actually, <laughs> this is the part where oh, Kevin and I were like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know. He actually came, him and the guys, robbed a bar um, in the Bronx called the uh, Westchester uh, Bar, and they got $800. They then come drive th- like three and a half hours or so. Yeah, three and a half, four hours. Oh, to, to Vermont. Vermont. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. Bennington, they purchase two thirty-eight caliber automatics at forty-five caliber and a twenty-five caliber Beretta. Then they spend the night think, here. Well, I think that'd be cool because that'll like be personal for you guys. I think that'll be cool. <laughs> yeah, it's only what an hour and a half from here, you know, to Bennington. Yeah, yeah, and it's a total oh, yeah. shithole. <laughs> yeah, so this is true. <laughs> it's I, perfect. I, I Some used to go down there. Change. Used to go down there all the time, and there's certain streets you do not drive no. down. Because it's now become a drug haven for coming out of New York and Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I know some people that live down there like, we need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, but. Hell yeah. All right. Well, I broke the seal, so I'm going to go take a piss again. <laughs> so. Have fun. Shake it Give me a second. once. Are we, uh, we want to wrap this up? Yeah. No. Yeah, okay. yeah. All right. Well, well, fine. Let's not wrap it up. I don't care. So I guess. Uh, so we're going to stop so, this week, I guess, with. Uh, yeah. With Jimmy getting off of, uh, for the murder or well the shooting of uh, Vanderbilt Evans, and not going to jail. And uh, Mickey's still in prison, but not for much longer. Yeah, he's hanging out in the crochet room, yeah. making some potholders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and be- because as soon as Mickey gets out of prison, we got a whole bunch more stuff to talk about. Yeah, and this buddy. is going to be one of those series where you guys are gonna you guys are gonna be glued to it because there's so much shit going on in this 13 year span. It's in, it's insane, and it happens so quick. It's just like you know, it's like one event, then the next one's happening. Well, that one's still finishing. You know, so much <laughs> yeah. crazy shit. Yeah, there's a lot of overlapping. I guess you could say the proverbial shit hits the fan. Yeah, when <laughs> Mickey gets out, I guess you know, or yeah, or yeah, starts that's... to hit the fan. Um, yeah, I, I'd say that. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, uh, one little quick thing that uh, I wanted to uh, p- uh, put in here before we actually end, the, end this episode uh, was that we didn't actually talk about it, but during before Jimmy um, did all the, the previous stuff with you know, that we talked about with joining um, Ruby and and Lucic, you know, doing the, the – um, doing the loan sharking stuff he when he was with the the first core group of guys one night they actually had uh decided that hey we gotta we gotta you know do something here let's uh let's actually go rob a bar we gotta get some money and because there was actually hints that floating around that there was uh guys being flown in from texas and boston to uh, by mickey spillane to actually take them out so like we gotta get money so, go rob, let's go rob a bar. They went and robbed a bar, and then they drove like three and a half hours north to Bennington, Vermont, which is an hour and a half south of where we yeah, are. Yeah, because you guys are from Vermont. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they came to Vermont, 
I don't know, you know, because maybe they can, it's a little hick town and they can get whatever. Yeah. Because the state doesn't care about shit. <laughs> yeah. So Other than taxing the fuck out of you. That's true. <laughs> well, <laughs> while here, they purchased four handguns, which included two 38 caliber automatics, a 45 caliber, and a 25 caliber Beretta. I'm kind of curious how many gallons of maple syrup they went home with, too. And cheese. Uh, you know, <laughs> that would be interesting. I mean, they did actually spend the night here, so they probably ate somewhere, had yeah. real maple syrup. And fucking Denny's, dude. Not that Aunt Jemima fake crap, you know. <laughs> That's from Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just wanted, I, I wanted to throw that in there because it's a Vermont thing, and, you know, we're, we're from Vermont, you know. Really? We, some, we somehow find a connection yeah. on most of our episodes where it's like, yeah, something yeah, happened here, too, you know. It's, it's fucking wild. Especially when most people think we're part of Maine or New York. Yeah. It's true. It's true. <laughs> the ski resort, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it might fucking well be. <laughs> so with that, I guess that ends our uh, the episode of uh, first episode yeah. of part one of the Westies. All right, hell yeah! And uh, like everybody, tune in. Like I said, man, these guys are doing uh, a special episode next week uh, where they're going to give you the the whole backstory of Mickey Spillane and Oni Madden. And all that good stuff, and you don't you don't want to miss this because if you think these guys are crazy, Oni Madden is like <laughs> insane, man. <laughs> He's totally insane. So, but and the best part about Oni too is um, not only is he like one of the craziest little Irishmen you've ever seen in your life, but his retirement is like the greatest shit ever because. <laughs> Think, think Bill the just, Butcher with a bad temper. <laughs> yeah, and then one day he's like, I'm going to go move to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and just stop. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's exactly what he does, but, like, it's the coolest story ever. And, dude, like, at a certain point, like, Oni Madden's dying on a hospital, you know, dying from a gunshot wound, and they're like, who did this to you? And he's straight up like, I'm not telling you guys <laughs> shit. You know, just, like, hardcore, man. Stick a <laughs> for real and like how about now and it's well and that's the thing though it sets so much context for the irish mentality in this area in in the hell's kitchen area and it's it's gonna be amazing so tune into their show next week uh listen to that and we will be back in two weeks with part two and there will more than likely be a part three because there's so much shit going on with these crazy motherfuckers that it's 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 gonna be good just don't miss out i had to tell you that before we cut off <laughs> yeah and uh and tune in to justin's definitely everyone tune into those this guy puts on a great fucking show i, mean, oh, I appreciate it yeah you know? and especially well by yeah. the time people are hearing this they got a sammy the bull Ravano oh, episode so yeah. <laughs> it, especially with like this the topic that we're talking about here go back and listen to the DeMeo murder machine episodes too, because they run parallel and it's, they do. It's they really, really do. It's so cool. Yeah. It's really cool. It's literally all this time frame through the seventies. It's fucking insane. Yeah. Like just thinking about all these little crews, you know, and, and here's the deal. Like DeMeo will come into the episode in part two. Yeah. So like, that's the coolest part about it is it'll be intertwined. So it's pretty awesome. And it's like, you know, people think of New York city as a, a tourist destination now and you have to remember like not that long ago it was a fucking war zone you know 
literally a war zone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kevin yeah. was in his twenties during all of this shit, anyway. So <laughs> hipsters, hipsters in Brooklyn. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, that's all yeah. I gotta say. Yeah. Is everything's become gentrified and all this stuff and you know, you can walk down and get yourself a craft beer and almost penny makes, loafers. Almost makes you want more gangsters in New York again. <laughs> kinda oh, does, there. you know. <laughs> kinda does. Well they're they're also not just Italians anymore. You got like the Russians and the you know, the oh, Chinese yeah. and the yeah. Russians are fucking crazy. The Dude, the Russians I believe come in in this story, you know, a little bit later and then uh you know, they came into the DeMeo crew at one point towards the end after after DeMeo died. But, but yeah, I mean, they're, the Russians are there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're there. So I guess with that, we'll uh, say see you uh, in two weeks or – well, what? We'll yeah. see you next week, but you – we'll, yeah, we'll see Justin in two weeks. You'll see Dark Windows next week. You'll see me, you'll, you'll see me on part two in two weeks. So. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. All right, cool, man. All right, guys. All right, Justin, later. thank you again for having us on. This has been awesome. Oh, dude, no, this is great, man. I like it. It's, it's great. I love it. All right. <laughs> well, we'll get going then. I love you. All right, man. <laughs> love you more. Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> you better stop. We got my kids. <laughs> Whoa! Oh. Awkward sicko. Oh, shit. Never you know. got one this year. You can't add two, two onto that. That's I true. Guess. Yeah. So, there hey, you go. Somebody else already asked it, so why can't I? Fuck it. Exactly, dude. I, there's nothing kid. wrong with oh, that because crazy. I love you. <laughs> He's mine. Yeah. Oh yeah! By the way, that picture that Seth put up on Instagram totally makes it look like you guys are on an internet date. It's fucking awesome. We are. <laughs> it really does. I saw that too. I, in between. So I went ahead and reposted it the too. 70s, they had the telephone date. We're on a uh, Skype date. As you can tell, I have three beers. You can't see what's going on. Pants down. It's good. It's comfy. You didn't Relax. even drink your beer, young man. I gotta drive home. You guys have like a five minute drive. You gotta walk downstairs. Yeah, I, I knew you have to. I can, I've slept up here before. Fuck and I've it. seen cops on my way home. So it's like I'm not gonna get picked uh, up talking about some crazy Mick. I already am one. <laughs> All right, man. We'll we'll let you go. All right, buddy. All, All right, right, man. I'll talk to you guys later. Have an excellent rest of your evening. Have fun. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right, so uh, I think I speak for all three of us when I say we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, we had a lot of fun having Justin on. That was cool. Yeah, and was fun. more importantly, we're going to be on his show. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Get to share the spotlight. So the way it's going to work is uh, we're actually going to change our release schedule for it so that our episode and his episode come out on the same day so that if we have people that listen to both shows, they're not getting it early on one, sh- on one yeah, and not the other, that. you know? You don't want spoilers. No, God, no. This is like when you play Jeopardy, and then you switch the channel, and Jeopardy's just coming on as soon as it's got off. It makes you look smart. What? Hi. <laughs> so, so, you, so you'll be listening to this on, what, the 15th or the uh, 16th? This one will be August 1st. Or first. Yep. First, sorry. Um, first or second. So either, either one of those days you'll be listening and to it. And part two will be August 15th. And we're probably looking at a three-parter here because this is a this is a deep topic, and, and we've uh, just scratched the surface. Yeah. So next week, uh, the three of us are going to come back, and we're going to talk about uh, you know kind of the origins of the Irish mob in New York. Um, we're going to talk about a guy named Oni Madden, who was a crazy little shit, who was uh, involved with a, a group called the Gophers. 
which that, that's actually a cool story how they got the nickname uh, during the late 1800s, early 1900s. And Kevin's going to talk about um, one of our big players from this series, uh, Mickey Spillane, right? Sure. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get we won't go too deep into, into him because we want to save some of the juices for the series with Justin. But a little bit of backstory as to kind of how he came up, how he came about, how he kind of came to power kind of thing. Yeah, because, I mean, we want to I was when when Kevin and I were doing the research and Seth. Um, I kind of was like, hey, you know, I'm reading this book by um, T.J. English. Yep, T.J. English. It's called which, The Westies. Yes, which we recommend you awesome go read. read. Or uh, his other book, Paddy Whacked. Read that one, Fuck too. It, read both of them. Read both. <laughs> um, I, you know, he starts off with The Westies by actually talking about the, the history of the Irish mob before all of it. Before... The Westies, yeah. I guess, were, if were formed and with Jimmy Coonan and Mickey Spillane, all that good stuff. He talks about everything before, and I was like, "Wow, this is that's really fucking interesting." I think we should really talk about this. Yeah, absolutely, because it's you know it's relevant of how all that came about and how these guys saw Jimmy and Mickey Featherstone and all of them saw the previous. You know, generation, generation, as you know, people to look up to and how they should act. Yeah. So, with that, we're gonna we're gonna touch on that. Yeah. So, go check out Studio. Go over to studio.com. Um, get a pair, of, find a pair of headphones you like. Get some earbuds. Throw them in your cart. When you get all ready to check out, go to your discount code. Punch in Dark Windows fifteen for fifteen percent off your entire order. And Seth. Yo, you got some promo codes. Yeah, since yeah. you're on the internet and you're already, you know, looking at, you know, those sweet studio headphones, go over there. Once you're done, and you buy what you want, or you looked at what you want. Go up to that little search bar, type in the whole gameenvy.net, and then hit that enter button. It'll bring you right over to gameenvy's home site, and you can pick out all the sweet hobby tools or take a look at what you like. Find anything that looks good and looks fits your little needs or what you want. Put that stuff in the checkout cart. Put in the promo code Broadstone at checkout. And then you'll save yourself 10% off the entire order. Now, if you don't have any miniatures or hobby-related things, or you want to get into some stuff, what you need to do is head on over to Dicehead Games. Their site is dicehead.com. Now, dicehead.com is a your one-stop shop for all things of your nerdery, geekery, and fun times. They have board games, they have card games, they have dice games. They have miniatures. They have comic books. They have a wide variety of all those delicious little fun games that you can find, you know, for yourself or for somebody else if you want to hook them up with some cool stuff. They also have a miniature trade-in program all the way down at the bottom of the page. You find what you like, do all that fun stuff. Their love is amazing. So with that being said, I'm going home. Yeah. Me too. You're already there. True. But I'm going to go sleep because i got to get up at 6 a.m. and go work. Go pee pee night Yeah. But with all that being said, just Ready because... review us. <clears throat> yeah, that. Um, go over to ageradio.org forward slash dark windows. Check out our page. We've got links to the bazaar on there. We have links to our Patreon account on there. Check our Patreon, Patreon out. we got some cool stuff there. Mm-hmm. And we got a link 
to our finally live Threadless store on there, too. Go what? buy some t-shirts. Go buy some sweatshirts. Buy a fucking skateboard if you want. I don't care. Get some cool shit with their logo on it. I'm going to do it when I get paid again. We more cool logo-related logo-ness. We do. Yeah, and if uh, also, if uh, you want to you know, chit-chat with us, go over to Facebook yep. and look us up. We're Dark Windows uh, on there. We're the only one. Yeah. Dark Windows Podcast. Or if you have Instagram or Twitter, you can find us at Dark Windows Pod. Um, I am on Facebook and on Instagram. I am Speedy802 on Facebook. On Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I am uh, Kevin Heyer on Facebook. You'll find me you know, posting different some different stuff. Not as much as Kevin C, oh, yeah. but, you know. Uh, Seth, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at Broadstone underscore creations, where you can see me using my hobby holder and paying my miniatures and a sweet picture of me donating blood. Nice. And my name's Kevin Carlton. I'm on the Facebook page about 27 hours a day. Um, sure. I am... I am the executive vice president of the Facebook page. Really? <laughs> he, he is the best. How are you the vice president? Who's the president? Well, I think he's That'd a- be my associate. That doesn't make any sense. I think he's actually the ah. vice president and president of chat for, yeah. for the I Facebook I thought it was page. Ray was the president. Well, I don't know, man. I don't have Facebook. I don't know any of that shit. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's, you know. Yeah, I, I just, I, I do a shitload of shit on the Facebook page because I usually don't have it. Shit. When I go on Facebook I don't do anything on my own personal page because what am I going to do? Post pictures of my fucking dog all the time? I guess. That's all I can do. So I do a lot of shit on the Facebook page. I fart around on Twitter a little bit. Not much. On Instagram a little bit. Not much. But I'm a Facebook guy, I guess. Um, you but can, you can also uh, email us at darkwindows pod at gmail.com yeah. if you have any suggestions or want to complain. No, don't. Don't no, complain. No, don't, don't be complain. that guy. No. Keep it send, to yourself. Send us all the love. Yeah. So with that being said, just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean the dark can't see into you. And we will be back next week. I was going to interrupt you, but I didn't feel like it this eh. time. Eh. It's, it's too late and it's still too hot. Yeah, and this one was too taxing of an episode. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. Bye. All Bye. I can say is, I love you. Wow, that was loud, bro. Because I love them. I want you, them to feel my love coming through the microphone. That. that hurt my eyes. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, I can see it. See, look. <laughs> see? Oh, yeah. We're high tech as fuck now. We got a monitor up in this bitch so you guys can see what I'm doing. Cool. I had to hide my porno tabs. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I can't put an HDMI cord in my phone. Oh. <laughs> Bye. Soft, soft serve for the win. Oh, yeah. Fuck you. <laughs>